get you done. Three, two, one. I'll stop hitting the computer because uh, otherwise it's going to... Oh, I, I can't play the intro because otherwise I'll have to switch back to the uh, intro. Do you want me to play the intro? Old one, new one, first one, it's Greg. Oh, no, I always... Anti-ETH? <laughs> you know what? Go with the anti-ETH one. Okay. Why not? All right. In honor of Rich Reynolds. <laughs> I mentioned him on the show. <laughs> as soon as you mention Reynolds, I'm going to change the subject. No, that's the only time I'll mention him. Okay. To go through a turning point in the study of, of this whole domain, away from ideology, we're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that, the, um, that, this, that this phenomenon is... Um, comes from some sort of domain of pure information. And the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that, uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, well conditioned here? Yes. in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? Yeah, well, obviously somebody recorded it off an old TV. You hear that 60 cycle hum going. Uh, and I, I'm not, I kind of think I might want to leave it in there. I've heard it many times. It's like, you know, I'm going to leave that, I'm going to leave that hum in there. That, that's old school. Leave it in. Yeah. Do I have to sit closer? Mm-hmm. I, I will. I'll move in a second. Okay, let me fade that. Okay, I hope people can hear us. Uh, it looks like it's broadcasting. If somebody can give me one more, like, mic check, uh, we will continue. Well, we'll continue anyway until somebody says, No, no, we can't hear a thing that you're saying. Looks like somebody's about to Probably John's going to type something. John, I, I uh, conveyed your congratulations and everything to Paul. Thank you so much. Uh, he says thank you by waving. You know, your brother today did the, Jim did that thing with, it's like, hey, Paul does that. <laughs> he learned it from me. Okay. I don't know if that's true. Yeah. But, 
Uh, also, there was a request play wedding music. I did play wedding music. Yeah, the Smiths. Uh huh. I've softened my stance towards the Smiths. That's a very nice song, Paul. Well, you've softened in your stance to that one Smith song. That one song, yeah. Uh, we might not be hearing Shoplifters of the World Unite later, but <laughs> we could probably maybe we can dredge <laughs> that one up or 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 something. Yeah, no. Uh, there is a light that never goes out. It was uh, Mac Tony's favorite Smith song. It's my favorite Smith song, and my niece-in-law, my new niece-in-law, read from the lyrics of it <laughs> at my wedding. Yeah. So from the, what was it? From the Gospel of Morrissey I wrote and had yeah. to read. Yeah. Verse 20, or no, chapter 27, verse 2. There is a light that never goes out. If a 10-ton bus crashes into us to die by your side, the pleasure, the privilege is mine. And you're, you're, you're what, how old is your niece? In, in niece-in-law? 13. Yeah, she, she went up in front of the church in, 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 her, in her dress and read. Yes, <laughs> the Morrissey. So one. she's so she Sammy Sammy Samantha Hall. She's a pretty cool kid, <laughs> although you know she volunteered. Really, I think she, she I, didn't make a face. No, well, she didn't know what she'd be reading when she volunteered. She kind of probably thought it was something from the Bible or something. <laughs> so yeah, there were people at the wedding who know me who thought I was joking when I posted it in advance on Facebook, and I went, I thought you guys knew me, man. Like, yeah. like, I'm not joking. This yeah. is I was serious. So yeah. and anyway. he was. He read it, and then when she stepped down, somebody in the in the crowd said, "Amen." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. So he was sitting right in front of me, but I can't remember who who it was. One of your crazy relatives. Um, it was a small. I, okay, I, background. Um, Paul invited me to his wedding. Um, he didn't mainly because he didn't think I'd actually come. You keep telling people that that is not true. <laughs> I was assuming you would come. You were, okay. I invited a number of people from away, and you were the only one who actually could make it. So, um, yeah. glad to have you here. About yes, I'm glad to come back, and um, you'll be see, back in two months. Yeah, I'll be back in two months at the uh, East Coast Para Conference three, number three. Yeah, with Micah Hanks and Ryan Sprague. That's and right. You and me and Chris Styles, uh huh, and some other folks who I can't quite remember just at the moment, but. Anyway, I feel lucky to be able to come out again and speak at the conference, and uh, we don't even have everybody's schedule—I mean, scheduled talk—really nailed down yet. I guess I'm going to say something about Roswell. Yeah, come to the conference, folks. Greg Bishop is going to be talking about Roswell. <laughs> so if you, ever, if you ever wanted to see a, a car crash, in, like, or if you ever wanted to see Roswell talked about by somebody who's not the biggest fan of Roswell. As an E.T. sort of crash. Yeah. Um, that This would be it. So it's kind of fun because it's the 70th anniversary of Roswell. And at the first East Coast paraconference, the keynote, one of the two keynote speakers was Stan Friedman talking about Roswell and MJ-12. There is a question about Stan, but we'll get to that. All right. So uh, now we've got new MJ-12 documents out. Breaking news. Yeah, that's what he asked about. Breaking news on Radio Mysterio. Oh, wait, it's already broken somewhere. It's broken. It's all broken. It's totally broken. It's like the Traveling Wilburys song, Everything's Broken. Or was that? No, sorry. Tim Benal, if you're listening, I apologize. That was a Bob Dylan song. Totally my bad. So, yeah. So you had Stan talking about that stuff. And this time around, it'll be Greg for 10 minutes talking about Roswell (laughs) and using it as a launching pad to go, well, wherever Greg goes. I don't know. I don't know where. We don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm talking about ghosts this year. So I'll be. Yeah, because you're working on the ghost, uh, working on the second iteration of ghost cases, which we'll get to. Since we brought up Stan, Stan did not come to the wedding. Miguel asked about that. Stan wasn't invited to the wedding? Now, 
before anybody takes that one sentence and goes, Paul and Stan are feuding? No, I didn't invite any of my uncles, aunts, or cousins. I have a large family, and it was a very small wedding. So um, they all wish me well, and I wish them well, but it was like, my yeah. perfect wedding would have been a justice of the peace. Yeah. And, you know, me and my now wife. Weddings are usually for your wife and other people. Right. But, you know, I had a couple of old friends and a few family members, immediate family Islander. members and, and, and some newer friends. But it was a, it, there were maybe 30 people total mm-hmm. at the wedding, including my parents, brother, sister. So, you know, leaving aside my immediate family, there might have been 15 people. Uh-huh. Uh, Greg was one of them. So, yeah, no, Stan didn't make the wedding because he wasn't invited. But then again, neither were any of my other uncles or aunts. I love them all. Plus, I wanted to avoid table talk about Majestic 12 yeah. at, the, at the dinner afterwards. Yeah, and somebody waving a piece of paper with nothing on it all blacked out. and, and <laughs> exactly. like, like on a game show, look at this. This is all blacked out. What are we this supposed thing. to be eating? The entire menu has been redacted. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. All the vows are gone. All, got, it says, all it says is uh, amen at the end. I got this food from the CIA. What? So that answers the Stan Friedman question. Did uh, Paul talk to Uncle Stan about the new and laughable MJ-12 documents? Lots of tri- uh, comments being attributed to him that have that seem hard to believe to Stan. Would love to get host and guest thoughts regardless. Well, I haven't really looked at them. I looked at them a little bit, and it looks like a bunch of crap, as usual. There was somebody saying, Bassett, I think, was saying, you know, your, your buddy Steve Slap My Ass Bassett mm. was saying... Close um, friend. Yeah. Almost invited him to the wedding. <laughs> no. He was on my list, but yeah. Linda, Linda, Linda didn't want to cross that out. He said, "We're going to have top men on this," as one of the uh, one of our friends in one of our groups said. Top men. Good. Let's talk about the misogyny and ufology. Then. Let's start with Steve. Top no, men, not top, top women. women. Top, yeah, or top raw men. There's. Uh, he said that um, people like Dolan and Stan Friedman and I can't remember who else would be looking at them. I don't know what Stan has said so far. Um, Neither do I. Yeah. The last thing I remember Stan doing to keep his reputation intact was saying, I'm not going to Mexico City for this junk. (laughs) Yes. For the not Roswell slide. So um, that puts him one step ahead of, you know, Rich Dolan or whoever went to Mexico City. But no, I don't know. I read, I think, somewhere that Stan had said he thinks the new MJ-12 documents are authentic, or at least he can find no proof that they're not authentic. I don't know. But I haven't talked to Stan about it. and I can't imagine I would, because he, I, when new MJ-12 documents come out, I just go back to my default conclusion, which is MJ-12 is a hoax from the very beginning. And so I'm not interested in new documents because that would, yeah. you know, that would be like saying, well, there's new documents that support what I already um, am convinced is a hoax. So I, I only read it for the socio- sociology aspect, um, which is to see ufologists fighting or talking or how that all that cultural kind of thing works. Um, and so I'm amazed to see that there are actually still people who take this seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I guess if you're no offense to Nick Redfern, good for Nick. Nick's a writing machine. So Nick went and wrote about it and took a look at them and said, this is complete bunk. Good. Well, I just no. didn't think that needed to be said, but Nick said it. So hooray. If for those folks that needed it to be said, Nick's got you covered. Yeah. And so does Kevin Randall. So yeah. miles, My, no red pill was not there. Uh, John. Um, uh, Where? At Mexico uh, City? Uh, yeah, no, I at the he, wedding. Oh, no, no. I was going to say he was at Mexico City. He but, was, but as a, I think as he's a, still there. As a participant, or not a yeah. participant, but as a, a person watching the Not Slides yes. fiasco. Yes. So, 
No, he was saying he was saying that Red Pill was. He, he thought that that Miguel was actually at the wedding. He's like, no, 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 no. Well, he is. He was. Red Pill's everywhere. That's true. Because none of us really know who he is. That's right. No, so we do do. Well, we do now. Yeah. He's decided to reveal his identity. All right, fine. Um, Isaac Coy and others are saying that it's a prank with lots of sci-fi references. I did see that. He's like, what is this digger command or something? He referenced about three places in the text where it's like, this is stuff from like the Andromeda strain. And it's like references to places and organizations that came from science fiction. I'll quote the Smiths. <laughs> The song title, that joke just isn't funny anymore. Yeah. So for, I, I know there's some people that find it amusing or interesting or whatever. I, I just don't. So the new MJ-12 documents, I read Kevin's post, I read Nick's post. I didn't even bother looking at the documents because I don't have to, right. um, because I know that MJ-12 uh, is, let's just call it not real. My conclusions about where it came from are different than Greg's, and we've been over that before, but not real. So... I'm not we interested. We agree on that. I'm not interested in looking in any further into something that's not real. So because there's all sorts of cool stuff that is real. Yeah. And or, another question was that came in is you know what do, what do we think it's disinfo? It's like I'm not sure. What I think it is is as part. Have you been? You know, I know you've been running for office, which you I guess you came in second, right? Mm. So I was more like walking. Walking, walking for office, for office. Yeah. Um, and uh, getting get married and working on ghost cases, which we'll get to haunted. It's called Haunted now. Yeah. No, Ghost Case has ended and it's long gone. Okay. This is a totally new series. I'm sorry, Paul. I'm with, sorry? No, no. Sorry. But with the same hosts. Yeah. <laughs> but Might as well be Ghost Case, but it's not. It could be, but it's been rebranded. For copyright reasons and intellectual okay. property ownership reasons. I see. So you haven't been following along with a lot of this junk, but th this was part of the show. Getting Paul back up to speed on UFO crap, if he's even still vaguely interested. I'm just going to open wedding presents while you're, you're okay, talking. Okay, yeah, we're sitting right MJ next 12. to all his wedding presents. Yeah, so oh, what's in here? Oh, my God, MJ12 documents. Hey, Who more gave of me those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> love Stan. Love. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. More like uh, love Nick. The, the idea's been floated by some people, and it makes sense to me, is that the, there's a... Did you hear about all this Tom DeLong stuff and the... Oh, what else? Who else is doing a kind of a disclosure push? I can't remember, but mainly DeLong's books, and I'm in contact with people in the government, and they want to reveal this. It's the same kind of... Um, and they're pushing an agenda that has to do with, you know, certain elements of people in the government think there are aliens here, and they are really doing things, and they really do want to tell people this, but they also... No, they believe it. Oh. Yeah. Um, or at least they want to make us believe that they believe it. And um, there are other things going on, like making the CIA look like good guys and controlling people's, uh, especially young people's, um, uh, perceptions of what the intelligence and, to some extent, the military is up to and what and, you know how cool they can be with the alien thing. That's going on there. I think that this MJ-12 thing sent to um, Heather... What's her name? The one that, that does Midnight in the Desert. Wade. Heather See, Wade, yeah. I do follow this more than yes, you do. people think Thank I do. Thank you. Because it keeps popping into my Facebook yeah. feed. So This seems like some kind of an effort, a renewed effort using some new stuff and some old stuff, like this MJ-12 crap, to push, I don't know what agenda, but I think it has to do, like I said, with Collins Elite type thing, as, as Nick, uh, Nick, yeah, Nick pointed out quasi-Collins elite thing. Um, I think this MJ-12 is kind of a ham-handed version of that at this point. To me, it's the 70th anniversary of Roswell. Somebody's trying to make some money. 
or trying to embarrass some ufologists, either or, or maybe a little from column A, a little from column B. Um, Why but do you I, need to embarrass ufologists? Yeah, They're no, really they, good at themselves. Yeah, I know, but um, <laughs> there are some there are some people out there that do still like to do that. Uh, but you know, I the idea that I'll tell you what, uh, we should all stop talking about it until Heather Wade reveals her sources. Um, because again, as Kevin Randall would point out, and I, onto a broader point, this probably shouldn't have to be pointed out, but until you have provenance for the documents and you don't mm-hmm. know where they came from, mm-hmm. all you can do is trust this Heather Wade person, who I don't know, and I've never really heard of. I guess she does Art Bell's old show now or whatever. Yeah. Um, but all you can do is kind of trust her when she says, and when no offense to Art's Bell, Art Bell, but when anybody says they're, you know, when... Art Bell is not the most credible source of information for me. So whenever it comes right. from Art Bell's compound or his universe or whatever, I just go, you know what? Give us the names. Tell us who these folks are. And um, I was reading an interesting article in the New York Times or the Washington Post. I can't remember. I think it was the Times uh, the other day about how the use of anonymous sources, and they're not talking about UFOs because they honestly don't care, but the no. use of anonymous sources in journalism in general, mostly related to political reporting, right. is killing journalism. Mm. And it's also killing the public's uh, confidence yeah. in journalists. And I agree because... Um, you need to be able to... It used to be in the old days, sure, you'd have deep throat, but yeah, in the most of your days, sources were, were sources. sourced and open, and they would double-check everything and all of it. Now it just seems like you've got... Uh, the Unnamed the, sources, say. Right, in the Trump White House or in the Obama White House or yeah. whatever White House. And they could be anything. And you, they could be doing it for any reason, usually for their own political purposes. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I would say that until people come out and say, look, we even if we won't name Heather Wade's sources, then uh, let's find other ways of confirming this. And they haven't been able to do that. So, um, And I got in a bit of flack when the, um, the, Roswell, the not Roswell slide story was out because they were talking about this witness. And I went out and I named him, um, courtesy of some information that I received. And then I said, look, here's who this guy is. His name's Eliezer Benavides. He wasn't who he says he was. Here's where he lives. <laughs> I published a picture of his house, which, you know, you can find on Google Maps. So it wasn't yeah. like it wasn't like I didn't do anything that wasn't open source and available to anybody on the planet living outside the deep dark, you know, darkest jungles of Central Africa or something. And um and you know, it's, yeah, if these guys are going to hide behind pseudonyms or whatever, and if you can find a way to show who they are, great. Because when we did that, it was clear that this fellow was not being truthful. So that was one small piece of the Roswell Slides saga from the RSG group that Kirk Collins talks about in the new your new book. Well, it's not yours, but you contribute the yeah. reframing you follow uh, reframing the debate book yeah. um, that Greg and others contributed to. So Kirk Collins has a chapter in there about the not Roswell Slides case. So, um, you know, yeah, until you can get a name or, or say, this is who gave me these documents, let's step aside and away from anonymous sources and let's go find, you know, if you're really interested in UFOs or whatever, uh, let's go find people who are willing to talk about real experiences or real intelligence if they have Yes, it. on and the it, record with their real name. Sure, whatever I think of Rick Doty, at least I knew who he was. Yeah. So, you know, you could judge the source mm-hmm. accordingly. Mm-hmm. Same with Bill Moore, same with any of these guys. With but anonymous documents showing up in Heather Wade's mailbox or whatever, wherever <laughs> yeah. she got them from. No thanks. We should all just turn our backs and not even look at this 
until and then you make ufology stronger for doing that. Yeah, we, uh, we should have my cam the camera on here so I could hold up my you know if I had it my do not engage T-shirt, <laughs> which is becoming more and more relevant to me as time goes on. Is and that I get the one with the troll older. on it. It should, it should be the one with the troll, troll on, on it. it. Yeah, exactly. I should get a you know somebody to give me a, a get get a picture a non non. Uh, Non uh, copyright picture of a troll or get RPG to draw me one holding a sign. Do not engage. Do not engage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, it looks like Paul is. Be are you slightly more interested in talking about this stuff now because of the the political stuff is is taking a back seat for a little while? Are you going to run again? No. No. Or yes. Never okay. say. Never say never. The, yeah. ne the next election is for us will probably be three or four years away. Okay. So who knows? For, for could, now, no, but we'll sit and wait. I could be dead. I could be in another province. I could be uh, really busy, or maybe I'll be even more involved in politics. And you, the one thing you learn when you run, which was a great experience. Uh, yes. What did you learn? In kind of nutshell, what happened? Well, because I had to actually look up what you were running for. Because you're like, I'm Clayton Park West, um, you know, uh, the equivalent in the context that your American listeners would understand for state representative. So I was running for the provincial legislature here, which is like a state legislature right. in the U.S. So like a state representative, mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, you know, my, the party I was running for, I was in a riding that they hadn't won. I don't know in 20 years, they hadn't finished higher than third in 15 years. So I finished second. I increased the party's vote by uh, by a sizable percentage, and you know I ran a credible campaign. And I, as I said, I left it in better shape for the next guy or girl, as the case may be, uh, depending on who runs. And maybe I'll be the next guy. I don't know, but we'll see in three or four years. What I did learn was, though, it's it's important for all of us to get involved um, in the community, whether it's at a grassroots level or whether it's in community organizations or whether it's in politics, running for office. Um, and going around talking to folks and listening to them, more importantly, uh, gave me a new perspective on the world around me. So um, to anybody who stands for office, even when I disagree with them, unless their last name is rhymes with rump, then I have the greatest respect for them. Um, but the high point for my campaign is I went to... Um, uh, there were a couple of ridings all sort of in the same area and a group called Food Arc, which is, deals with um, poverty and food insecurity issues here in Nova Scotia. Uh, invited food and security? Insecurity. So, What's food insecurity? Like the FDA? People who can't afford to eat. Oh, I see. So, and, you know, you can use a monetary analysis to say, look, right. you, you might make $12 an hour, but here's what you can buy with that because you have to pay for all these other things. Yeah. Anyway, I, I went because that's important to me. I run, I was running for a party that is called, it's the Progressive Conservative Party, which I know will sound oxymoronic to Americans, but it's a sort of center-right party, uh, although it's a big tent, so I run on the center-left, um, and they convinced me that there was a home for me in the party, even though I'm a progressive. I was the progressive in Progressive Conservative. So I went to this thing, and there was another member from my party there, and, and some members from the more left-wing party, the NDP, and the Green Party, and long story short. So we all got a chance to make a quick little speech, and everybody sort of talked about their party platforms. Here's what we promised to do, blah, blah, blah. And then they'd sit down, and that's all well and good. I got up, and I started talking about Morlocks and El Eloy, and I said that I was talking about this increasing stratification of our society, the breakdown of the class system, you know, the 1% versus the 99%, the transfer of wealth, not just out of the lower classes, but to the, and the, but the middle classes to the super upper classes. Right. Anyway, so the middle class just turned right. into nothing. Yeah. It doesn't exist. And I said, look, 
Yeah, there's a liberal government here, big L liberal, but all three parties, there's three major parties in Nova Scotia, have been in power in 20 years, in the last 20 years. None of us have solved this problem. In fact, it's just gotten worse. So we're all to blame. So let's stop yelling at each other. And um, it's kind of like my UFO mantra over the years. And let's start working together to find a solution. Let's find those areas where we can agree and focus on those and forget about the areas for now where we don't agree. Mm -hmm. Fine. Finish that. Sit down. Didn't get even agree what they want to agree on. Didn't get any applause. You know, people were looking at me like, I can't believe this guy is a you know is a progressive conservative or conservative because what he he doesn't sound like a traditional right anybody on the center right right. So fine. This lady comes up to me afterwards though, and I'm sitting there with a, a another candidate from the New Democratic Party, which I used to be in until last year. And they're the left-wing party. And so the lady walks up to me, and she sh- and uh, the New Democratic Party candidate knew her. And I was not in a room where progressive conservatives traditionally right. get support. So she walks up, and the NDP candidate was sure that she was going to compliment her. And she steps right by her, and she says, look, I just want to say to you, um, you have my vote. Even though I've never voted progressive conservative before, I went, oh, well, thank you very much. And you have the vote of other people that were sitting at my table. Oh, well, that's great to hear, too. And... You sounded just like Bernie Sanders. <laughs> and I went, well, I have to admit, I might have cribbed a few of my lines from Senator Sanders, and yeah. I'm a huge fan of Senator Sanders, and if I'd been in the United States, I would have voted in descending order, Senator Sanders, then Secretary Clinton, yeah. as the lesser of not even two evils, she's compared to Trump, not evil, and then I wouldn't have voted for Trump. I would have spoiled my ballot or voted green. She said, well, good, you've just reaffirmed my choice for you. Um, but that was the nicest thing that anybody said to me in the campaign, is I sounded like Bernie Sanders. What's the nastiest thing somebody said to you? Nothing. Really? Nobody said anything. Actually, you were talking about this. You said people were, even if they didn't agree with you at yeah. all, they were, well, they're Canadian, but they were very polite. There was one lady at one door, uh, when she opened it and she saw that my uh, my handout, my brochure, had progressive conservative on, she said, no, thank you, not interested. But she did it politely, and she yeah. didn't slam the I said, okay, thank you very much, ma'am. And I, you know, I left, and she closed the door, but it was a you know, slow closing, and that yeah. was it. There, I like the story about the woman that said, uh, that she, you thought she was mad at you, but it was her husband that oh, was mad at you. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's... <laughs> There was a a house with a liberal party. The liberal party here is the government, and they're an austerity um, right-wing party, which I know makes no sense to Americans. How can a liberal party be right-wing? But whatever. Uh, We're crazy Canadians. And so I go to the lawn, the house, and there's a lawn sign on the house for the liberal party. And so the guy I'm campaigning with, my not my assistant, but it's actually Graham Sims who wrote the Shag Harbor UFO book. (laughs) So he had two UFO researchers knocking on doors, which was fun. And he said, oh, I guess, you know, you probably don't want to go in there. I said, sure, why not? Every constituent matters. I'm, you know, knocked on the door. And uh, this young woman came to the door and I said, look, hi, Paul Kimball running for the Progressive Conservatives. I know you have a liberal sign on the lawn, but I just thought I'd stop by and say hello. And she said, listen, um, my husband put that up there. And then I see her husband walking away, like in well out of sight into the house. And she said, I'm a teacher. And I will never vote liberal again because the liberals a few months ago legislated teachers back to work during a teacher strike, which I didn't support. The legislation, not that I supported mm-hmm. the teacher strike. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'll never vote liberal. He didn't ask my permission, put the sign up on the lawn. I'm voting for you. And I went, oh, well, I'm glad. And she said, I'm so glad you stopped by. I know you, you know, I'd love to talk to you more, but I know there's many houses you need to hit. So you have my vote. Yeah, you don't have off to stay here and talk to me about anything. Yeah. So I drove by the next day and the sign was off the lawn. And I had a sneaking suspicion she went in and said, you know, take that 
effing sign off the lawn because <laughs> I'm not voting liberal. So yeah, it was fun. The only time anybody I had any trouble was uh, a young high school student in a school in my riding who is the stepson of a disgraced Liberal Party former chief of staff who had to resign because he released confidential information about another about a member of the Legislative Assembly. It's a long story, but scandal. And uh, his stepson, who had a habit of trying to antagonize candidates, um, went after me, and he posted, he took my rack card, which is my brochure, that, and he kept my picture, but he photoshopped over all the words, and he put in new words. Um, basically, I still have it somewhere. Paul Kimball, crazy UFO cultist. Um, and then on the bottom, Alex Jones approved, which anyone who knows me knows I'm the least likely person with an interest in UFOs to be approved by Alex Jones. Uh, and so all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And he put it on Twitter and he said, you know, the, clearly the Progressive Conservatives Party uh, vetting machine is, is terrible because somehow they let this uh, idiot, this this cultist, this crazy person run. So I didn't. I just blocked him. I don't like blocking people on Twitter, but him I blocked. Yeah. Uh, and then I, I, I couldn't resist. There was another a friend of his in high school who was also, he was more polite, but he was kind of mocking me too. And I engaged with him. And at the end of it, he said, look, I still think, you know, I would never vote for you. And I still think you're a little crazy, but you have a good sense of humor about it. And you didn't take it personally. We're yeah. cool. We're cool. Yeah. And I went, super. And by the way, um, P.S., you have a candidate running in another riding uh, on the South Shore, which is where Liverpool, actually, in Liverpool. Uh, which where, is where, where the uh, East Coast Paraconference is. Yeah. And you might not know him, but his name's Vernon Oikel. He's published more books on ghosts and UFOs and folklore in Nova Scotia than I could ever do films of in a lifetime. Yeah. So maybe your party's vetting me. And he actually believes in this stuff even more than I do. So yeah. uh, if you think I'm crazy... You need to go talk to your own candidate down in Liverpool. <laughs> and he went, touche, sir, touche. Yes. Uh, so, you know, that was it. That was the yeah. only time the whole UFO thing came up at all in this election campaign. And, um, yeah, nobody ever... In fact, it would come up, but people thought it was cool. Yeah, I was so, about to say, yeah. it's like, let's ask the real UFO uh, uh, show question. Is it something that people laugh at anymore? It sounds like people, uh, one, they either don't care because they listen to your political stance, or two, like you said, it might be kind of cool, especially for younger people. Well, when I was in the New Democratic Party, the, the re, they wouldn't let me run for them. And one of the reasons they gave me was because they thought my UFO work would embarrass the party. Yeah. Now, that wasn't true in the sense that that wasn't the real reason right um they gave me another reason about how i'd said nice things about opposition party members which i had yeah. but i was saying nice things about anyone during a crisis in my own film industry uh, yeah. who was defending us against the government so whatever um including members of the ndp the real reason is i had supported uh another fellow in an ndp leadership campaign who didn't win and they were kind of purging the party like trotskyites so <laughs> I was a Menshevik in a party that was taken over by the Bolsheviks, and yeah. it never ends well for the Mensheviks in that situation. So out I go. But other, other than that, um, there was the one kid. But the rest of it, everybody would come up and say, man, dude, it is so cool. You, you're ghost hunting? Awesome. Yeah. And you know, what was that like? Or, you know, the Shag Harbor case, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. What's that like? So if it ever came up, it was always people saying, man, I wish I could do what you do. I had two other candidates from another party actually say to me, um, what you do is really cool. You know, if we don't win, we'd love to come out with you on a you know ghost hunting expedition <laughs> or something. I had folks in my own party say the same thing. Like, yeah. 
folks, there's a crazy element to ghost hunting and UFOs and yes, all that. Yes, exactly. And it's got a cult. bad name, but... Yeah. But there's a lot of... I mean, there's a reason there's so many ghost hunting shows on television. And there's a reason for a while there were so many UFO documentaries or whatever on television. There's a lot of people interested in this stuff. Yes. And it's, if nothing else, it's entertaining. And people, I think, understand that you take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Right. Exactly. And, Most people do. Yeah. And, you know, if you have a sense of humor about yourself, even as you're taking the subject matter seriously then I think people are fine. So, yeah, it wasn't a problem at all. So I officially pronounce Stan Friedman's laughter curtain closed because yeah. I honestly don't believe that it, exi it exists anymore. And I think anybody who sort of claims that they're afraid that they're going to lose their job because they have an interest in you. I mean, if you have an interest in Alex Jones and mm, his UFO, maybe, maybe. Yeah. or, you know, David Icke, well, okay, fine. Um, although I kind of like Ike in a Jonathan Swiftian sort of way. That's a, <laughs> I'm, I'm half convinced he's, it's all a big Jonathan Swift kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. A modest proposal of, yeah. uh, of Alex Jones. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, if you're just interested in watching a Ghost Hunters show or you watch a UFO documentary now and then, nobody's going to fire you. You're not going to get laughed at. If, if anything, people sitting at the dinner table or the bar or wherever you are, my experience, are going to be, that's cool. Like, yeah. you know, I, I had, and you might often hear, I had my own experience. Yep. Or um, I grew up in a house with a ghost more so than UFOs. I, I can't go anywhere without somebody giving me a ghost story. UFOs less so. Um, but maybe that's because I live in eastern Canada, and if you were in New Mexico, you might get more UFO stories. I don't know. Right. But uh, up here, I, I can't go anywhere without somebody sort of saying, in fact, the guy who officiated at my wedding. After the wedding was over, Jim Colbert came up to me and said, look, are you planning on shooting any episodes in Prince Edward Island, uh, which is the province um, next door? Yeah, uh, where, the, one where, of them. where the wedding was. Uh, yeah, uh, because I know of plenty of haunted houses over here. Let me tell you a couple of stories. And so <laughs> I, there I was at my own wedding listening to folks tell me stories about haunted houses. Right. Um, nobody's embarrassed by that stuff. I have Not never anymore. met anybody who's embarrassed by uh, ghost stories, and the only people embarrassed by UFOs I have. are people that, uh, you know, they're embarrassed maybe by the fringier elements of the conspiracy theories, and they probably should be embarrassed by those folks. But if you just want to talk about the idea of space aliens or, or whatever, yeah, just lights in the sky, eventually people realize if you're even sort of, a, you have your toe in the water, if you look for five minutes online, you can find actually some sane people. They're just not yeah. loud, and they don't have big, loud banners, and they don't have, you know, a show where they have, you know, the latest crazy person on talking about some crazy thing. Yeah, it's, it's um, and there is a very social element to it as yeah, well. Yeah, that too. And, um, you know, there are some people who criticize the social social element of the UFO ufology or this sort of social circle like friends like greg and me and mac and nick and those people who oh you're all buddies and everything yeah what do you expect us to be yeah, what people? would what would you do if you found people that you got along with that had your similar interests of course you'd be buddies that's how right. people work and wouldn't you want to work with them and yeah. write with <laughs> them and talk to them and maybe bring newer like i yeah. introduced mac to greg and you know expand your circle of friends and yeah. people with like interests yeah duh yeah. You know, that's what it does. Until somebody yeah, creates... Uh, you, you have to create your... Uh, the, the, I always think of Robert Anton Wilson's thing. He's like, do you believe in conspiracy? He says, yeah, but I believe that the strongest conspiracy I believe in is me and my friends. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, me and my friends, we have lots of conspiracies. It's the, it's the cabal. We're still running everything. So, um, so, yeah, that was my political, my foreign to politics, running for office. I'm still involved in politics, um, you know, in the party and behind the scenes, and I'm still involved in my community. Um, and uh, that's not going to stop, but we should all do that. 
you know, whether you like Barack Obama or not, he was right. Get out there. Don't just vote. Get involved. You know, put your feet on the ground. And if you really, instead of just sitting behind your computer and bitching about stuff, do something about yes. it. And that means, sorry, joining a political party or a public interest group or whatever. Yes. But you have to get involved. Or don't do that. That's fine, too. Yeah. Just don't complain. Yeah, exactly. You know, because you have an opportunity to change things. And if you don't take it. Uh, so I decided in my own small little way, I'd, I'd get back into politics and do my best to try and change things a little. Hmm? And if, it, if we all do it, then it all adds up, right? Right, exactly. Or even if people in some way care enough to inform themselves in a way that doesn't just uh, reinforce their prejudices. Because then you get a sense of equity balance and maybe even if uh, the, the old-fashioned value nobody has anymore of compromise. Right. Compr and compromise shouldn't be... Somebody actually asked me, you know, what would you have done if you had won? And I, would, I said, ask for a recount. Um, because I, I was never completely sure that being in the House of Assembly was going to be a place where I could function. I'd like to think so, because I'd like to think maybe I could change it a bit. But uh, my idea, I support recall legislation. I support a whole broad range of measures that not even my own party does For officially. Accountability. To bring stuff. accountability. Yeah. So Because the idea is, um, I'm not a fan of, of Burke, who said, you know, we sort of elect somebody who then gets to go and speak on our behalf, but it's really just him doing the speaking. I'm more of, yeah, my job is to go speak on your behalf after you've informed me of what I'm supposed to be saying on your behalf. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't always work in a perfect world and you're part of a party and I understand there are compromises. Yeah. And, but as a general rule, um, and recall legislation, I think, goes a long way towards this. Hey, if I break faith with the people who elected me, they should have the right to recall me yeah, just and to, to force me yeah. to defend myself in a by-election. Yeah. I'm all for it. It's one of the things California got right. And it led to Governor Terminator. Yeah. So, so And cool. it's funny, every time I listen to him, because he'll, he'll occasionally throw up some political stuff. Who? Arnie? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're looking at it, it's like... He sounds sane now. Yeah. If if only he could run for president, but yeah, he can't. No, no. I would terminate the Trumps. Yeah, he's he's a right, he's right wing, but he's not a right wing wacko. I consider Schwarzenegger a centrist by yeah, American. He, you by know what? American he started standards. out righty, and it, it, because of Shriver, and I think being in office and all the Shriver family and being in office, he drifted more central. Yeah. I mean, American centrist, which in yes. Canada would be right, yeah. but, um, or center-right at least. So anyway, that's the political stuff. Now let's talk Haunted. about... I was going to go back to UFOs, because we were going to talk about John Ventre at some point. Oh, yeah. And, See, I, and I, I Sean David it. Morton and yeah, yeah. Let, let, cool Let's stuff. do that then. That's what people listen to this show for. Yeah, nobody listens to me talking about... Um, oh, the last thing I see on Greg's site is MUFON scandal. And actually, maybe... Because the, Lon Strickler, who I had on, actually kind of led part of the the online kind of what the hell is going on here right. uh, push. And he interfaced with Ventra directly and basically asked him what the hell's going on. And Ventra kind of doubled down and says, you know what, I don't care what you think. I can say whatever I want. Okay, yes, you can. And we can also tell you to go take a hike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and if people want to know what the background of this is, either listen to the last show or go to Kevin uh, Randall's site because he has a nice write-up of it. He does. He did leave out the part about um, MUFON, um, apparently part about MUFON um, censoring people's comments to the uh, Jan Harzan yeah. uh, excuse. but. Apart from that, it's it's fairly well balanced. Look, I you know I have uh, employees. If I had an employee who 
um, espouse, let's say, racist or neo-Nazi views, um, I would res- uh, as long as they're not advocating violence, we have hate, cr- hate speech laws in Canada, and uh, we take it seriously. But as long as you're not advocating violence, I respect your right to hold your, your crazy views. Guess what? You don't work for me anymore. Yeah. Um, I get to choose who work, works for me, and I'm not going to have neo-Nazis or racists working for yeah, me. Yeah, because I'm going to lose all my business. So you, you have a right to have your view. Yes. And then, I also have a right to tell you to take off and leave me alone and don't come near me anymore. Here's my view. Yeah. And you have, a, you have a right to expect that there will be consequences to your speech. So speech is free, but there's a cost, too. And mm-hmm. that cost is how people are going to react to your speech. So John Ventre has every right to say whatever he wants. Exactly. As long as he's not advocating. I, I assume even in the United States you have laws that say you can't advocate like physical violence against right somebody. exactly you know a, a call to action is not protected under the right. first amendment so say whatever you want john and your crazy crazy hate speech but <laughs> here's the thing mufon um a laughable organization currently to and even i think to begin with but let's assume mufon in its last waning shred of dignity <laughs> said hey there's a line we didn't even know we had a line, but guess what? We <laughs> just found it. it. This is the line, <laughs> yeah. and you literally just crossed it. You're gone. Yeah. Like we have to protect. If for even if forget about moral reasons, which I would it would be for exactly. me. Exactly. No, this talk. is this is a matter of public policy. Right. Because everybody does, and this this is just a matter of our own corporate self-image. Because Mufon is a corporation or a society, what you know, whatever it is, but it's an incorporated entity of some sort. In terms of our own PR and self-image, we can't have this. I mean, if that's the only reason that resonates with you, I guess I'll have to live with that. You dump them. Yeah. And you just, and you, and frankly. And you dump them publicly and loudly. Right. And shame <laughs> them on the way out. And yeah. you say, this is why we're doing it. We will not tolerate these points of view uh, in, in our organization's membership, especially our leadership. And he's welcome to hold these views, but not in MUFON. And boom, gone. Guess what? I suspect you get a few more members in MUFON afterwards or, yeah, or at the very least exactly. the people you already have aren't going to leave but people left in droves they yeah. had st- they had a lot of state directors left well, they, they quit stopped and writing quit, yeah them. nick quit writing and i said i talked to him about it i said actually i talked to him about it right before he did it he goes yeah i'm going to quit greg i'm going to announce it tomorrow um and i i said well how about if they said you know sorry we really screwed up he's out of here would you go back and he said no I said, why not? And he goes, he says, because their attitude was ridiculous. They called me a hater, right? basically, and I'm working for them. Uh, they have t- and he says, well, how is, how, they cannot apologize that by saying, okay, we got rid of him. They, they insulted me and most of the people in MUFON by saying that. Yeah. We, not they, but at least Harzan did speaking for the board. To me, the irony is, um, and, uh, you know, here, Greg and I were talking about this in the drive over to Prince Edward Island. So here's MUFON, an organization ostensibly devoted, it's not really devoted to the research of the UFO phenomenon, it's devoted to the propagation of the extraterrestrial hypothesis as fact. And that's okay, I'm fine with that. That's That's your belief? Cool, that's what your organization is going to do. Go ahead and spin your wheels, that's fine with me. So you believe that space aliens are coming to Earth, fine, which means all, there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes along with that, that means the space, and they haven't done us any harm. The space aliens haven't blown up our planet, maybe they've abducted a few people, but by and large, we're still here, and they clearly could have destroyed us if they have that kind of technology. So I have but to assume that the space aliens are peaceful 
or at least peaceable. And I probably or at would least go- peaceful from our point of right. view of how we look at them. And they've non-invasive. Moved, they've moved technologically advanced. I'm just going to cut to the chase. They're socialists. <laughs> Okay, you and MJ got to talk. And they might even be communists. (laughs) And this is a point Stan, in a roundabout way, has been trying to make for 50 or 60 years. The (laughs) idea that, you know, we're this warring faction of kindergarten nations, and there's this benevolent space federation out there. And, you know, like the federation in Star Trek, they're basically socialists. And, you know, meanwhile, MUFON is full of people who are basically Ferengi. And so they take this right-wing capitalist view. It's like, you know, when the aliens get here, the first thing they do is tell us, capitalism's got to go, guys. Like, you can't move out into space until you start creating equality and getting rid of poverty and doing all this and treating yes. people equally. Okay. So it it is this disconnect between the leader. And so then you have John Ventre, who is not right-wing. John Ventre is whatever the right-wing of the right-wing of the right-wing is. Yeah. And he's a MUFON state director. Yeah. And I just... I didn't want to get and involved. And people have noticed this behind the scenes yeah. for years. And said nothing, because yeah. if you... And he's it, not the only one, because he, apparently. He is not, but he donates money to their organization, Lots. so that's yeah. a little Over weird. Over $5,000 a year, but we don't know how and much. And he was involved in Hangar 18 or whatever that UFO show was or whatever. So somewhere along the line, MUFON made a decision that it is better in their corporate interests to get money and exposure than it is to do the right thing or to actually think for even a second about what space aliens coming to Earth would mean and what they would be like and how the attitudes of many of members of their organization are at probably, odds. probably don't you know, reflect. If you, re- you know, if you really want to find out what's, who space aliens would be talking about, read a biography of Eugene Debs, because that's probably who they would be looking up. Somewhere Bernie Sanders is sitting in his home in New Hampshire, or sorry, Vermont, and he's going, what are those lights out in the... <laughs> we are here to talk to you, Senator Sanders. You know, or whatever. Or Mahatma Gandhi, you know, years ago would have, yeah. would have been approached by space aliens. Yeah. So I, I just find that all really amusing as a cultural kind of looking at how this group of people organize themselves. But as somebody who still has a fondness for the UFO subculture and and so on, I find it appalling. As I say, they are my people. They're my peeps. I don't, I don't, I'm I'm not, it's like a family. I'm not happy with with parts of them, but they are my people. And I will, I will fight for them over, over a, um, over, I will fight for a rabid UFO person over a rabid skeptic, usually. Greg goes further than I would, but uh, you know, well, I'll not to the death. I don't I'm just kind of like leave them alone. I, I, they're they're harmless. I don't want to see. Uh, I don't want to see people, as I said earlier, of good intent who are genuinely interested in UFOs, even if in a passing way. Yeah, tarred with and feathered yeah. with John Ventry yeah. or whatever. That is the kind. They of, don't either. Yeah, which is or, why a lot of them left. Right, but I mean, even in the broader monoculture. Yeah. You know, the idea that, like, it became harder to pitch UFO documentaries uh, in Canada about eight years, nine years ago, which is one of the reasons why I stopped. Because they said, look, we just want to stop doing the kind of stuff you're doing, yeah. sort of the serious stuff. Give us the entertainment. Give us yes. the infotainment. Give me the yeah. sizzle. Give yeah. me the Alex Jones. Give me the Rich Dolan and sci-fi yeah. Yeah. chasers yeah. or whatever. Yeah, Jim and I talked about East Link and how, how they were how they were developing stuff and what they wanted and... Right, and Eastlink was actually the which is this is net- a, this is a uh, network in Canada, right? Which is the network we do haunted for. They're actually per- totally open minded. They let us do what we want. But the more mainstream networks, uh, the larger networks, especially space, which I used to do a lot of work for, mm-hmm. are sci-fi. And you can look at your own sci-fi channel in the U.S. Uh, you don't see those kinds of serious documentaries. And so it's like, where did this shark jump? And whatever you think, say of James Fox. He did a film. What was the first film he did? Out of the not out of the blue. What was the one? 
Not I know what I saw, but the one before that. Really? I thought the first one was was I know what I saw, so I don't know. Oh. Well, whatever his first documentary was in the title, I thought that I know what I saw was the second one. But he had this one that, right. um, you know, it's like millions of hits on YouTube and everything. And I wasn't a huge fan of the film, but at least I went, you know what, seems sincere. And it's by and large, it's within the sort of same kind of thing I'm working on from a different perspective. Great. And then somehow you see James Fox on, what was it, Chasing UFOs. You know, teched out and running across the desert late at night with two other people that I'd never heard of in terms of UFOs at all. And shining lights up into the sky and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, well, okay, that's where the shark has jumped for James Fox. <laughs> and, you know, that, but that was part of what was going on. I have small, some small degree of sympathy for Fox because he has to make a living. It might beef with him as he won't admit this. He has to make a living and he signed a deal with the devil to do this. But that's the way the industry was going. So then you get shows like UFO Hunters and uh, Hangar 18 mm-hmm. and, you know, whatever else is out there. And there's there's no serious analysis. No, and because so, it would, it would. well, I was going to say, it, was, it would be boring. It would not have to be, though. No. The sec, I was going to do a documentary, which was a follow-up to Best Evidence, whatever people think yeah, of that. Yeah, do film. a Cosmos or whatever it is for, well, for, for UFOs. Yeah, it was Beyond Best Evidence. Yeah. That's what it was going to be called. And it was going to take a look at the theories of people like Valet and Mac Tonys and, you know, whoever else. Like, okay, we accept that there are UFOs. As a phenomenon, let, let us let, let us um, assume for the sake of argument, and let's hear the best arguments, right? Including skeptics. Yes, like, exactly. Hey, you want to explain this in the psychosocial theory? Mm-hmm. Great, go for it. Yeah. Let's put all those theories out right. there the same way I did, sort of the top ten cases or yeah. whatever, and let read or viewers decide. Yeah, and give them all an equal sh- say and yeah. present their best case. Stick Joe Nickel in there and right. let him say what he wants Absolutely. to say. Absolutely. And the network, like, literally turned me down flat and said, well, nobody wants to see that. No, no, they, then, wanted, they, wanted, they want to see, what was that? Right. Well, they asked me. <laughs> Did you see that? Do another best evidence with 10 more cases. Because that, and, and they also told me, sex it up a bit this time. And they didn't phrase it like that. But they said, look, you had, it was a little too slow paced, very informative. And that's great, Paul. But, you know, zoom, zoom. Like, put 20 cases in this time. And a little better special effects. Yes. We'll give you a little and, more and money. slap people left and right while you do it. Right. And and they were clear, space alien, space alien, space alien, space alien. And they did ask me, who's the guy you put at the end of your film? He wasn't talking about space aliens. He was talking about, like, anything but space aliens. And that guy's name was Mac Tonys. And I went, well, he's the best part of the film. No offense to anybody else in the rest of the film. But the ending is, it's like a gymnast. We might have wobbled in the air, but we stuck the ending. Because you had this young guy talking reasonably in a non-belief-oriented way about how we should just look into this with an open mind. Right. What else did you want me to put? And they didn't say this, but I suspected they wanted me to stick Stan at the end and go, and this is Try why... Cosmic you Watergate. Watergate, yes. Which is fine, but that's not what I was, what I wanted to do. So I walked away from all that. You and now what? I hunt ghosts. Because <laughs> at know. least it's a little more honest. I put the tech vests on and I just go out and say, hey, ghosts, if you're here, do something. And you, yeah. it's a personal experience thing, and that's fine with me. I'm cool with that. I just want to go to haunted houses and see if something happens to me. You and know what I noticed when you first, when we talked about it, when I first got here, was you seem to be having more stuff going on in this version of going out and hunting, hunting for haunted places and, and phenomena than you did in the first version. Yeah, I think so. Holly and I have actually talked about that. And I don't think, you know, knowing Paul, I mean, he's not going to fake anything. He's nope. not going to he's not going to misrepresent or misinterpret anything. He just 
So what's been happening? I mean, we've we've actually he showed me a great one, but maybe we'll save that one. The one the one sure. with the yelling. I've never seen Holly that scared in my entire Holly. Holly's career. his co-host yeah. and uh, and who's uh, been on Radio Mysterioso yes. before. Um, you know, we actually have the episodes I've gone through and edited so far, and we've shot seven. I've taken stuff out that every other ghost hunting show would put in and say, this is a ghost or this is something really weird. I actually think a, a lot of it is kind of weird and I can't quite explain it. But I've, but you don't make a, you, you don't blow it up into something no. that you don't think it, that, and it, that and in your mind it isn't. And it's okay. It's, it's good stuff. Other ghost shows would use it. I have better stuff. So, you know, and I only have 30 minute episodes, but I want to put the better stuff in and Really, that enough stuff is happening that you can, right? I'd which rather, is kind of where as Paul is as skeptical as they come, and the, some of this stuff is in, unexplainable as of now. Has been happening to you on camera during shooting this program? Yeah, no, I'm le- I'm a lot less skeptical. Anyone who read my book that I wrote a few years ago would mm-hmm. know I'm a lot less skeptical. Not right. only because of the ghost cases experience, but my trip to Chesky Krumlov and the Shadow People and all that, and the synchronicity yes. run I had with Greg and Walter and others in yeah. 2011, but. Uh, so I'm a lot more open-minded, but uh, I I did write the book, and I do believe this is true that if you uh, if there is something to any of this, um, and I've said this on Greg's show and other shows before, it's like going to a movie. If you want to see a movie at a movie theater, unless you sneak in, which I don't recommend, you have to buy a ticket, and then once you buy the ticket, you can see the movie. Well, I bought the ticket seven or eight years ago to uh, <laughs> I like that <laughs> seven or eight years ago to the whole ghost thing and the UFO Thanks, thing. And everything else. And it's this idea that, um, you know, I just want to see what's out there. So there's a movie playing. It's called Ghosts or the Paranormal or whatever you want to call it. And I don't say it's the spirits of the undead or demons or or whatever you think ghosts are. Completely open about what it might be. Right. I use the word um, artificial non-human intelligence, which is a bit of a mouthful, I admit. So, but the idea that we're interacting with something that's interacting with us. And I've seen enough and I've heard enough that I'm, I won't say firmly convinced. You know what? I'm pretty firmly convinced that that's happening. And that I, what's happening? That the stuff's something's, happening. Something's yeah. interacting with us. Okay. And literally, I think interacting more with Holly actually, but with me too. I yeah. had stuff happen to me that, uh, and in this series. So you're as well. moving away from as uh, our my guest a few weeks ago, Susan Demeter St. Clair said. She said, "I'm tired of the DPH, which is the dead people hypothesis." Yeah, and maybe it is dead people. But as Valet would say about UFOs, I say about dead people, I find that the least interesting possibility of all the non-prosaic possibilities. I find there are more... What have you opened up to as possibilities? Well, I I did try and summon a demon earlier this month. Oh, Um, how good for you, Paul. How did that go? Holly wasn't too happy about that, and that came right (laughs) before her big scare incident. So there's an ongoing debate about whether I should be doing that. And you know what? I probably shouldn't, because maybe there is something out there I shouldn't be messing with. But uh, what's my ongoing hypothesis? The, uh, uh, see O'Brien, Christopher, uh, dot, dot, trickster, dot, dot, dot. You know, that idea that throughout human history, uh, there is another intelligence, wherever it's from, whatever it represents, that is uh, interacting with us, and often in a playful way, and, uh, and sort of trying to stimulate us to think and to imagine and uh, and maybe even sometimes just to entertain itself the same way as Mac used to do with his laser pointers to the cats, you know, bounce the laser pointer around the wall and watch the cats go crazy. Yeah. Note to self, uh, call the SPCA on the ghost of Mac Tony's. No. Um, <laughs> I, I actually tried to summon Mac 
in one of the episodes. The episode where Holly got super booper scared. Yeah. And for good reason. Earlier in that night, I uh, went out of my... Because they had a room. It was an old museum. They had a room full of mannequins. Now... <laughs> As anyone, and I was feeling a little maudlin about Mac. I just have sometimes I do. The, oh, that's know. right, because of his his mannequin fetish. Right, Mac had a mannequin fetish, yeah. and uh, not in the way maybe that sounds. But um, the first time Mac ever met Greg was at a Radio Mysterioso show. We were shooting Best Evidence. Mac was with me in L.A., and we went to do Radio Mysterioso. And there was a, a dollar store or something next to your old studio. Yeah, right underneath. Right. On the first floor. And they had mannequins. There's a fa- sort of famous picture of Mac out front kneeling down to these mannequins. I took the photo. Yeah. And, um, and then he wandered through the store. He was fascinated by mannequins. It was kind of weird. And so I saw these mannequins piled up that they used for historical recreations. Like they put pirate suits on them and stuff. Yeah. And so anyway, I thought, well, this, you know, this is great. I will... You know what? Here's here's a here's some sort of a spirit magnet or something. Right, because Mac and I um, once, while he was visiting me here, and we were putting a play on, we took a long drive while listening to the Smiths, and the song was "There Is a Light That Never Goes Out." We parked. I know this this story doesn't go where people think it might be going. We parked. We were just sitting there, and we we're just sort of staring out at the ocean, and you know, talking about life and how to live it, and 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 go UFOs actually not ghosts at the time and all sorts of great stuff and we kind of made a pact which we thought really wouldn't take place for 40 years and if it was going to be anyone it would be me but the pact was whichever one of us went first come back and let the other one know well mac unfortunately went first and uh and so i never really put much thought into it he went after i'd finished doing ghost cases actually he died three weeks after the series premiered. And we had already, by that point, decided we weren't going to do a second season um, because of a bit of corporate fallout between me and my producing partner. So that's fine. Uh, so I never really had a chance to put the Mac Tony's theory into practice, and I kind of sort of forgot about it until I got to do this new series, and I said it was on my list of things to do. If I find a moment where I can try and make contact with Mac and it's not too forced, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. An attic in a museum full of mannequins, yeah. and I had Zorgrot with me sold so i stuck zorgrod on top of one of the mannequins and i said mac if you're out there move Zor-. i wedged him in i said move zorgrod off the mannequin yeah uh, and i left the camera to monitor he didn't zorgrod stayed on the mannequin but what did happen we had this other instrument called a rem pod very long story you'll see it in the episode someday uh, this fall actually and the rem pod um what does that do it uh it measures temperature, among other things, but it's supposed to, if anything gets within its vicinity, including humans, if you walk up to it, it'll go bloop, 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 it'll start blooping, and if you walk away, fine, it's perfectly fine. So you generally, you would stick it in the middle of a room and walk away, mm-hmm. and if you're outside the room or way over in the corner and it starts going bloop, 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 bloop well, okay, that's something that might be interesting, yeah. and then you can play with that. Right. So we had... Sounds about, like it measures like an air pressure thing. Right. Yeah, Hollywood. If, are, if you're coming towards something, you're pushing the air in front of you, and probably picks that up. Or if you believe that uh, there is this non-human intelligence that can in- interact with our technological devices, right, right, in a way that we, yeah, and in of, ways of, that we that don't make sense as the devices uh, uh, operate, right, like a laser pointer. The cat doesn't know what the laser pointer is; he right. just knows there's the light. So anyway, this REM pod thing had a uh, blue light, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in the episode that I kind of explain about why blue was important in this context. And it, it's not supposed to do this. It just went beep, like the blue light stayed on and mm, kind of thing. And so then I started asking the thing, and then it would go off. Every time I would mention Mac's name, beep, and then when I would stop talking, 
off. I said, okay, this is really weird. I'm going to take Where it. were you in relation? Were you in another room? Yeah, I was, I, what, with the REM pod? No, yeah. I, I was close to it. Then I would stand away and I'd do it further and further away. Yeah. And then I said, okay, well, let's make sure this isn't just me or something. I'll take it downstairs to Holly and Kim, this other person that was working on the show with us. And they, you know, we all did it kind of around in a circle and stuff, trying to interact with it. And I mean, at the end of the night, I don't know if Mac was out there, you know, trying to interact with me through this. Um, but there's a part of me that would like to think that he was, uh, that I had opened the door after almost 10 years and said, Hey Mac, if you're out there, I know you're doing cool stuff, but take a minute because it would help me because I need to really help sell this show. And you're all about the money too. Mac had a very commercial bent. So give me something cool to work with that can also be something real. And, uh, I don't know if he did or not, but I thought I'd give it a try and some interesting stuff happened. And then later in the night, Holly had her own totally frightening experience not related to the max story at all right in a different part of the museum so it was a very as uh, the people who run the museum linda rafuse uh, yes from the east coast paracon would uh-huh. say Hi, linda. it was a very um what um high energy place if you will or a lot going on maybe i should go there this next time instead of the the theater well the astor we actually i just finished editing the astor theater episode uh that episode includes uh two different encounters with uh, shadow people uh, or shadows that we can't explain moving in at times when there should be no shadows there and Um, it's not like a little insect or something no something that covers a door right and like a person walking where a a shadow or people had been seen and it's not and it's not a defined shadow either it's just like it suddenly gets a little bit dark for some it looked like something that might be like four inches wide Right, or in one case, actually, it looks like it's a lot. I didn't show you the one on the balcony, but a lot wider. It looks like it could be a human, mm-hmm. and so they're interact. And what happens is these things will come up. To me, it's all about timing. If you just see random shadows or hear random sounds, uh, th- uh, those I yeah, tend to discount. A, yeah, are they linked to certain types of behavior that you're doing? So if Holly's calling out, for instance, "Hey, interact with me," and then you hear "Hey," or "Hey," or something, and we have that clear on audio, and we can. We went through everything and said there's nothing that we could have created that that could be. It's not anybody outside. We checked yeah. all that. Then all right, the radios, anything like that. Right, that's weird. So she's on one part of this haunted, allegedly haunted balcony in the theater, um, and she and Kim and our sound person Chelsea all hear that. There's the video. Uh, I'm not on camera, and I didn't hear what they heard, but it's on a their audio recorder. I'm about. Is this the one that really freaked her out? Uh, one of them, yes. Okay. So I'm about 30 feet away, and you can see me on another camera, which is our closed-circuit camera, and I'm sort of kneeling down, observing this from off the main camera yeah. from 30 feet away. Is, this, is that the box in there with the four cameras? Because I was going in there trying to see if I could hang something in there. I saw a box with the four, like, night cameras in there. Is that oh, what yeah, you're yeah. using? Those are oh, the okay. four sort of high-definition night uh, vision oh, okay. cameras, cool. security cameras. Yeah. And so, but I had my audio recorder, too. So her audio recorder picks up this, what seems to be a male voice going, uh, hey, in response to her talking. My audio recorder, because I'm 30 feet away, I don't pick up that, which seemed to happen in her vicinity. What I pick up a couple seconds later is footsteps, or what sure sound to all of us like footsteps, as if somebody or something had said something to her in response and then had gone and walked down the balcony right by me. Mm Mm-hmm. That's the kind of thing where I put all those pieces together and say, there's a lot of moving parts there. That, to me, is interesting. Plus, you also... Did you hear the footsteps? No, I didn't at the time, but they were very light. Again, oh, okay. we... So the audio... But the weird thing is the audio recorder picked it up, and, yeah. and I didn't no, hear it. No, recorders... I mean, 
whatever weirdness you want to assign to it, record audio recording devices will oftentimes pick up things that you do not hear. Yep. Not because they're ghostly, well, whatever, but right. in a normal context, they will pick up things that you didn't even know were there. Yeah. And because you're not concentrating on that, you're concentrating on something completely different. If you were listening for it, I mean, you could probably perfectly well have heard, but you were probably looking at Holly or thinking about something else. As soon as she, well, she, when she heard the hail, she said, did you hear that? And Kim, who was standing next to her, said, D- yes, it sounded like, and immediately my attention is focused on their right. conversation. Uh-huh. Not e- like somebody probably could have walked right by me, and if they weren't stomping, I yeah. wouldn't have paid any attention yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. Or I might even have like, heard. Like, like the guy that runs out on the basketball court in a, go- in a, in a gorilla suit, nobody sees it because right. everybody's watching the basketball game. Yeah, or I, I'm, it, I might even have heard it, and I can't can't remember and i might have thought it was my brother who was not with us at that time he was another part of the theater and i might have just assumed it was him downstairs walking by i don't know he wasn't but i might have assumed that he was anyway so all those kinds of incident incidents or happenstances or occurrences uh, we've had tons of them um, i find really really interesting and cool sometimes frightening uh, holly sure found the one in the uh, the queen's county museum frightening um and Which I will ask you to describe, because I love that one. And I will look at um, some things that people are writing in. Sure. Yeah, um, if you want, if you got any more questions, I think we, uh, the ones that John asked, I think we got all of them. Um, John, again, um, is commenting. He says, tell Paul if he ever thinks he's talking to Mac, it's not Mac. I'm guessing Mac is in a good place that respects the lines. Maybe, although... Um Depends. If there are lines, I max the first person I would expect to break them. Um, it's yeah, kind of, it's kind of how he rolled. But um, <laughs> Mac also had an appreciation for the commercial elements of television production. So like, I'm not kidding when I say if he could help me out, he probably would. Um, and you know what? Mac was pretty playful, which was a side of him that people didn't always see. And um, and we did have that. It's not a bet. I wouldn't call it a bet because there was no money on it. But we did kind packed. of have that pact, the Houdini esque pact, yes, almost. Exactly. Where uh, you know, like if one of us did go and we had the opportunity sometime to come back um, and do it. So I'm not saying it was Mac. I just saying, and maybe, maybe uh, I talked to. I have a friend of mine who's a minister, and he's a big believer that when you open the door, you might want Mac, and you might be asking for Mac. But you've actually just, it's kind of like going to the back door of our office here. I open it and go, hey, Greg, are you out there? Well, you might be out there. Or it could be a murderer or a rapist or it could be a guy selling computers. Who knows? Yeah. But anybody could wander in that door if I just leave it open. Mm-hmm. So uh, maybe, you know, in opening the door for Mac, uh, I op- inadvertently brought something else in that then later in the night, you know, so went for Holly. Uh, yeah. And frightened the bejesus out of her, and our sound person who was also there at the same time probably frightened her even more, and then eventually frightened all of us when we started to review the evidence and realize, you know, it was it was a it actually gave and I don't I I guess I don't frighten easily it actually made me kind of go Gah, when I heard the noise and you, it, it's an unequivocal noise yes yeah and it's an unequivocal no I don't know unequivocal but it sounds exactly like a voice yeah so Holly walks into this. Uh, so here's, you know, teaser time or whatever. Please. And you kind of have to see this to really appreciate it. But Holly is just walking into a room. It's the main sort of conference room in the... Yeah. Um, you you can't bring, like, in a, in a computer so we can hear this noise, can you? Actually, I can pull my computer over there. Actually, you know what? I think I can on my iPad. 
And can you it, can you can you multitask and talk about it while you're looking for it? Sure, in theory. Yeah. So just let me at least get to the place where I can sort of maybe find it here, uh, which would be Dropbox. Okay. And, uh, uh, thank you for saying Happy Father's Day, John. There. So where? There we go. Dropbox. Now let's see if I can find the file that it's in. I know this updating. Screw you, Dropbox. No. Oh, here we go. All right, here we are. So. I'm going to turn the volume up as high as I can on my iPad. And just hold it over here near where the microphone and... I'm going to make sure I've got the right video. Yep. Okay, so... Uh, uh, I'll set it uh, up. Set up, please. So this is the Queens County Museum. Now, it's a more modern building, but the Queens County Museum is built on property that was originally owned by Simeon Perkins. To make a very long story short, he was an 18th century lawyer and judge in Nova Scotia, famous diarist. Uh, as a historian, I used his diaries as primary historical accounts or mm -hmm. records. In fact, he wrote about a UFO account. Uh, ah. Or at least what we might today call a UFO account. He didn't call it that, but lights right. and things reported and seen over the Bay of Fundy. So, and there's a whole bunch of ghost stories associated with the property on which the museum is now built. And the Perkins house is actually right next door. Yeah. This is uh, Liverpool, Nova Scotia right. on the on the coast, uh, Atlantic coast of Canada. So, in this room... Uh, there are paintings of these two people called the Gorms. They were bigwigs in the 19th century in town, and they had founded the Astor, or not, didn't found the Astor Theater. Their house had been where the Astor Theater was. Uh, their house had been moved so that they could build the Astor Theater. And uh, so we're interacting. We have the ideas, and some really weird stuff had been happening to Holly earlier in the evening, too, that involved maybe just thinking of names in her mind that turned out to have a... Holly had no idea about any of this, but I think it was the name Lucy. I think it was Lucy came to Holly for no, not a name that just pops in, in the modern era. It's, no, if you had to pick ten, ten most popular names for kids, yeah, Lucy, Lucy would get come up. So not, especially not with uh, someone Holly's age, right? So weird stuff's going on. This name came to Holly Lucy in her mind. She had we had no knowledge of this. Turns out that one of Simeon Perkins' daughters, and I'm pretty sure I'm getting this right. It's been a month since we did this. Uh, was named Lucy. And that she had had this horrible traumatic experience in a fire in that on that property uh, when she was about 16, I think. Mm -hmm. So anyway, all, the, all this stuff is going on. So Holly walks into this room. She and I had been in there earlier and had a couple of experiences. We was a sound behind us that a door had moved out of a filing cabinet. Again, all things that individually you can explain. Yeah. But Linda Rafuse had talked about seeing shadows in there before, consistently hearing things, all this sort of stuff. So it's a room that's kind of supposedly haunted. It's one if you had to pick the top four places, here it is. So Holly's just walking by in, reputation. By reputation. So and and even by a little bit of experience for me and Holly so yeah. far. So Holly's wa Holly walks in and she's just going in. Yeah, and the to, camera's on her during this. Right. Dylan was, for some reason, uh, Dylan, our cameraman, and Chelsea, our sound person, uh, were following Holly, and she was just kind of walking in, I think, actually, to pick up a piece of tech gear and then go back. You know, mm -hmm. I don't even know what it was. But it, the main table in this room is where we'd set up our, our HQ, kind of. Oh, okay. So the other people on the crew and cast could all be accounted for, and there's nobody else in the building. This is at 12 at night or something. Yeah. So there's nothing external that that we could have done, couldn't have faked it if I wanted to. Holly's initial reaction, by the way, is what she heard, she thought it was the walkie-talkie on the table, sort of somebody saying, hey, or something like that. Yeah. And it, and it she, you know, frightened her, but then she said, that has to be the walkie-talkie. Problem is, we accounted for all the other walkie-talkies. None of us were using them. 
So, no, it's not what it was. It doesn't sound like that either, but that was her first reaction. Yeah, the other thing is, like, somebody would say, well, somebody, maybe somebody else was using a walkie-talkie in another building at midnight in the middle of, in the middle of a little town. But it didn't sound like a walkie-talkie. No, and I'd also say uh, good luck with that because we're, I mean, there is, a, I suppose, an infinitesimal chance that somebody was using the weirdo frequency that we were. Yeah. But it would be a pretty infinitesimal chance, especially at that time of night in that town. Yes. And nobody knew we were in there filming a ghost hunting show yeah. either. It's not like we're traveling with a team of trucks like ghost hunters do. So anyway, all this goes on. And so she walks in. And she turns to face where the paintings of Mr. and Mrs. Gorm are, who supposedly Mrs. Gorm is one of the ghosts, allegedly. Yeah. And she just kind of sort of says something to Chelsea, our sound person who's trailing her. You'll hear ha- you'll hear a sound, a little talking, then a sound, then Holly, and you'll know Holly when you hear her. And then you'll hear Chelsea, uh, who is our sound person, who ran from the room. And... All she the, ran up to her first, and then when she heard what Holly heard, she ran. The well, yeah, way. she kind of took a step forward, and then boom, booted out. <laughs> All of this was picked up on Holly's personal audio recorder, but it was also picked up, and this is the great part, on camera, but on um, the, the mic, the, the proper Chelsea mics that we were using. Yeah. So afterwards, when we sort of had said like it can't be anything that we've done, Holly, we asked Holly, "What do you? What did it sound like to you there?" And she said, it was as if somebody was standing right in front of me, almost screaming in my face. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Except for Holly. <laughs> you know, for the rest of us, it's like, this is awesome television. For yeah. Holly, it was like, I've never, ever. And we've been in scary places, and I've seen her upset. I've seen her weirded out, as I would say. Mm-hmm. I've never seen her terrified. And she was terrified. So, hopefully this works. Um, yeah, hold down over sort of in this area. Where's the mic here? There's uh, one here and one here, but I'll hold right. this closer. So let's see if this works the first time. And if it doesn't, maybe we try something else. You gave me a hot flash. Oops, what? sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you just right after. I think, I think you came in at the end. Sorry, let's try and find the beginning here. Here's the beginning. So that's that's Chelsea, our sound person, who's only twenty three years old. Going, you gave me a hot flash. The, so what the, you hear is that if you heard one a loud, more time too, after you after you describe it, if you hear, you'll hear a little bit of chitter chatter beforehand. Maybe you don't hear it much. Um, what you hear, the ah, which sounds to me like a woman's voice, and Holly felt was literally as if somebody was standing right in front of her. That is what Holly heard and reacted yeah. to. When you hear. Oh my God! Or whatever Holly says after that, as she steps back about three or four paces. Yeah, um, that's ho- that's Holly and her in real time reaction, yeah. followed by Chelsea's real time reaction as she flees the room. Yeah. So I have to talk to Chelsea about you know our contract and how you have to stick around for. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Chelsea is awesome. Yeah. Chelsea's the best you could ever get. But um, it's it's just this nonchalant, not expecting anything to happen, and boom. Yeah, we will, we will talk a little bit about that situation right after this, too. So here we go. Try it one more time. Holly, yeah. Do you have those four? Oh, oh God. What, what? What? What was that? I don't know. What? So that ah you hear. Yeah, yeah it's well, ah like that. That's, that's what we can't. There's... We checked everything. There's nothing that 
could have made that sound. And I just remembered, as to your thing about the walkie-talkie, it could have been the one walkie-talkie that was on the table wasn't on. So <laughs> it, couldn't, it couldn't have been that yeah. either. Um, and apparently she said it sounded like somebody was right in front of her saying, ah! Yeah, exactly. So that, it's weird too because when we did ghost cases, one of our best, almost all of our best pieces of evidence usually involved Holly, including this, I'm not a big fan of orbs. I, I think 99.999999% yeah. of them can be explained. Dustin, thanks. Yes, absolutely. However, there was one orb in one episode of Ghost Cases years ago that A&E eventually saw, because I put it up online, and they picked it up, flew Holly to L.A. and put her on some other show to talk about it. Yeah. And the reason I like it is it's because when Holly is sitting there, she's interact. She's actually trying to talk to whatever the, the... It was a bride who had killed herself. And earlier in the episode, I had been making fun of her. And Holly had gone back to the room where we had our monitor set up, and she felt she just felt bad, and she felt like she wanted to apologize to the spirit of the bride, if such a thing exists existed for my mm-hmm. behavior mm-hmm. because i'm a ghost jerk and then oh, there's a good title for the next ghost series. jerk exactly jokes jerks and then they already have that this orb like thing materializes seems to materialize out of the wall right behind holly and then it moves towards the cctv camera we had set up by the window where the ghost head or the bride sorry had jumped out of in a direct line and disappears and as it disappears holly and I've asked her about this. I said, did you hear anything or anything? She said, no, I just felt something behind me. She turns to look at that moment. And fo- her look follows the flight path, if you will, of this, this beeline kind of orb yeah. as it went out the window. Yeah. Now, that even I, as an orb skeptic, find interesting because yeah. of the confluence of Conclusive? events. Conclusive? No. Interesting? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm almost willing to say that the what you just heard is conclusive enough for me to say that we're interacting with something. I wasn't there, but it's like why it was just such a weird. The other thing, I talked to Dylan and Chelsea a little bit right after the wedding. Dylan's just, our director of photography. Yeah. Chelsea's the sound person. Yeah. Yeah. And Dylan, um, years ago, uh, I w- actually worked with him on uh, Eternal Kiss for you, a movie that shall not be named. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I said I saw that thing with Holly, and, and both of them was like, "Oh God!" You know, that was that was probably one of the most dramatic things. I said, "Stuff like that's happened before, right?" They said, "Yeah." I said, "Tell me something. Does it happen when you're asking for it, or does it happen when you don't expect it? You're totally doing something else, and you're not even concentrating on something like calling up spirits?" And they said. Definitely when you're not concentrating or doing it. Some stuff happens when you're... Most of the time, yeah. Yeah, most of the time the, the dramatic stuff happens when you're just doing other things. The, there was a, the sort of maybe kind of stuff happens occasionally when you call out and ask for it. There was a moment in the... You Ast- just have to be there. When we were doing the Astor Theater, we were on the stage, and you've been there. Yes. Uh, and it was me, Dylan, Chelsea, and Holly. So Dylan and Chelsea were filming, Holly and I. And Dylan just thought I was doing some stand-up, and we were talking about something that had happened. And I went off on ghost jerkiness and was started taunting Mrs. Gorm, who is this allegedly this ghost that also haunts the Astor Theater, that oh. maybe had been following Holly, and we thought she might be responsible for the ah oh, that you just heard, because yeah. that had been the night before. So I said, look, Mrs. Gorm, if you're here... You're not being very friendly, and frankly, you're causing pain and, and, and fear to my friend Holly here. Um, so I'm going to say, you know, like, I got three words for you. And I go, bring it on. And then I go, to Dylan. And Dylan, who's already been weirded out by the previous night's experience and the night before our first location, 
like he turns you, around. You see the camera go off me, and we had the other the CCTV camera sees him walk away, and I'm going, "What? What?" And all he goes, "Oh, yo, man, you just like no, no you, you don't. That's a that's not cool, man. That's not cool." And <laughs> and Dylan sort of quit for about ten. It was like when Ringo walked out of the Beatles. He quit for about ten <laughs> seconds. And so, so, you know, you, so you put some flowers on his camera, and he came back. Right. But here's the thing. Um, I then sort of apologized to him. I said, come on, come back. I can't afford to lose you. And he's a, he's a dear young friend of mine. He's like my protege. He's the Anakin to my Obi-Wan. Wait, no, that's a very bad example. Ends badly for both of us. Yeah. But something like that. So um, he's, he's the Luke to my Yoda. There you go. So uh, he comes back. And now remember, I've still got it on him. I put it on him. <laughs> and before I can take it off him, which is what I proceeded to do, I go, oh, I just got hit by a wash of cold. I did. I felt this is my thing. This is my shtick. If there is something interacting with me, it seems to hit me with cold. Yeah. As ever since I was in a jail cell in St. Andrews nine year, eight or nine years ago. You've imprinted on cold. Yeah. So cold, cold spots. So boom. And I go, you know, did anybody else just feel cold? And Dylan, you hear Dylan go, I felt it too. Not happy. Totally not happy. Yeah. And so I go, okay, Mrs. Gorm, Mrs. Gorm, or whoever's out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Not me. Taking it off Dylan, totally on me. Totally on me. <laughs> and then, and then I happened. go, boom, no, I get more cold. Really? And I go, Dylan, and Dylan goes, no, no, I don't feel anything now. And I went, cool, okay, we're making progress. At least it's <laughs> off of you. And Holly starts checking me out with the EMF meter, and she goes, wow, you're peeking on the EMF. And I go, whoa, 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 whoa. And she walks away from me, and she goes, you fool. Like, what have you done? And one of the things that Mrs. Gorham, or this ghost, is reputed to have done is when she meets people she doesn't like, and that's almost everyone, allegedly, yeah. uh, she drops stage lighting on them. <laughs> and this, we actually had a witness who said they were doing this play, and Mrs. Gorham had been a temperance person, you know, a very, very about Christian, and so they were doing the King and I, and when they had put a statue of Buddha on the stage, uh, the entire lighting rig had fallen on almost on a cast member, and this was the person we were talking to, who was standing right next to the Buddha. And yeah. she said, yeah, yeah, that, okay, that's it, that's cool. Uh, not cool, and we, yeah. mo- we moved the Buddha. And so Holly was saying, you could always, we're, so we're on the stage, and she's going, well, you could always pray to Buddha, and I went, what? Wait, no, that would be bad, right? Yeah. And then we all look up, and it's like you're staring at the lights thinking, please don't drop the lights on yeah. us. Please don't drop the lights. And the lights didn't drop. But later in the night, Holly actually reported seeing, uh, she was in the balcony, and she saw a weird light anomaly up where the stage lighting was. Mm-hmm. Dylan and I totally investigated. We tried to figure out, could it have been any of our lights? Anything. Yeah. Nope. Ruled right. everything out. And Holly said, well, I definitely saw what looked to be like a shadow and a light sort of play up where the stage lighting was. And I went, well, I don't know what that is. And then you hear her from the balcony say, Paul, I think something's following you. And it's like, oh, well, thanks. That's, and <laughs> that's I'm not at, something I want to I'm hear. I'm actually on camera going, well, that's good news, bad news. It's good news as a television producer. It's bad news as Paul. <laughs> so I wound up going down into the basement, and that's where maybe another shadow being was sighted. At the yeah. same time, it's, it's... I've been in that theater. I've been in that basement. It's it's creepy and all that. Nothing yeah. happened when we were there, no, except that we know Lin, uh, Not Linda. Um, Kelly. Kelly Conley. was standing there with Benal and me, and we're holding the EMF meter. And she said, and I'm, you know, I don't know if she's doing this to freak us out or if she really did see it. I have no reason to believe she wanted us to... No, she's straight and narrow. Yeah? Yeah. Um... We're sitting there looking at, you know, and the thing, you know, she's asking questions once in a while, the lights are going up and all that. You know, we have cell phones. We've tried to make sure they're off and all that because that'll set it off. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Walkie-talkies will too. Yeah, yeah. Any, anything with an EMF, electromagnetic field, even probably wires, you know, with, with little flashlights sometimes. Will. Yeah. Yeah, anything with a, anything. As we're sitting there asking questions, she's she's asking questions, and she looks up, and she goes, and is there, or something, she, and she stops in mid-sentence, and we go, what? And, you know, Tim and I are looking at her, and she said, I saw a shadow go by the door up there with that has a light on in the, like somebody walked by the door, and I said, what on was the balcony? That? No, no. Um, there's stairs that go up the front, and then there's oh, side stairs. Yeah. There's some offices or something with frosted glass doors. She said she saw a shadow go across the door. Right. We look up, of course, there's nothing there. Yeah. And I said, who's here? And she said, the only people in the building. And, you know, we didn't hear anybody in there. We didn't ever actually go over there and look. But we didn't hear anybody up there. She said, we were the only people in the building. The office people were gone. Mm. So that's the only really weird thing that happened in there. And I didn't see it. The craziest thing that happened in the Aster to me um, and I, maybe not the craziest, but I tell this cause it's a funny story. The things that can happen when you're ghost hunting. So I go to use the bathroom because, uh, two nights before Dylan and I had gone to the McDonald's in Liverpool. I mean, a fast food restaurant I won't name. And we had perhaps <laughs> gotten food poisoning. Yeah. So we were having like some serious stomach issues. Yeah. Dylan's had sort of resolved himself the night before. Mine was still ongoing. I said, yeah, okay. Uh, this is Paul in the walkie. I'm, I'm, you know, like I'm heading into the bathroom here. Just go do what you're going to do. Everybody else was in the theater or somewhere else. So the bathroom, the male washroom, and I was in there for 15 or 20 minutes. And I turned my recorder on because I didn't want the record somebody listening to me, you know, going through the footage or the the audio of the recorder, getting to a 20 minute segment where plop plop fizz fizz for a very <laughs> prolonged period of time. <laughs> So I'm just sitting there on the stall. The bathroom, the male washroom is right under the main staircase. The main staircase is a oh, right, big old right. staircase that goes up. And yeah, then the one that has the old um, projector at the bottom. Right. And yeah. it branches off into two separate staircases. One goes to the balcony and another one goes to the Gorm room, which is where the town hall is now. Oh, okay. So anyway, I'm sitting under the one that goes to the balcony. Again, where all the weird activities are supposed to have happened. And there's another room on the other side of that where earlier in the night, Holly and I discovered a door that had been closed that we are convinced to this day was open and, and had some weird feelings in. Whatever. So I'm down there. I'm just sitting. And then all of a sudden I hear, and that's not what I hear, but footsteps. Yeah. To me, clear footsteps. In the bathroom. No, above me. Oh, above you on the... In the room... Where Holly and I had had these weird feelings and stuff, and, yeah. and cold had hit me and everything, yeah. and and across from the balcony where a lot of stuff had happened to Holly early in the evening. So I'm not getting off the uh, I'm not getting off the throne, as it were, and I can I hear it again. Same not, direction? Yes, from above me, and that sounds like a mouse. What I heard was I can't do it here, but you know footsteps, boom, boom, boom footsteps, yeah. absolutely. So I come out of the bathroom. How and, far how far apart were these? Oh, about half a minute. Okay, yeah. and going in the same direction. I couldn't say. Okay. Like, you know, I don't have that kind of sense of direction when I'm sitting on a toilet and I hear footsteps. <laughs> but they were almost directly above me. So I, I finish up my business. I don't call anyone or tell anyone because I assume Holly's upstairs again or somebody's upstairs and they're just doing something and they meant walk through the room. Go out. Turns out Holly was coming out and she was just about to head upstairs. And I go, hey, Holly. And she goes, hey, oh, how are you feeling? I went, ugh, not good. Um, listen. You're, are you just coming downstairs? And she went, no, I'm just about to head upstairs. I've been out in the main theater. I said, okay, so you were in the main theater? Yeah, for the last 20 or 30 minutes. Okay, where's everyone else? And everyone else was somewhere else. I said, is there anyone upstairs? And she said, no. Has there been anyone upstairs in, say, the last 15 or 20 minutes? Yeah. No. Cool. 
here's, and she said, what, did something happen? I said, well, funny thing, <laughs> as I'm sitting on the toilet. And so I, Dylan, get out here and film us. So we film it. And then I say, in the weirdest ghost investigation I've ever done, I said, I'm going to walk back into the bathroom. Dylan and Chelsea, follow me. Chelsea, this will be a, a momentous occasion for you. You finally get to see what a male washroom looks like. We're going to go in. I'm going to stand right in the stall uh, on where I was and doing my thing. Want, yeah. And Holly, I want you to walk upstairs. Mm-hmm. And let's see if what you... Do sounds like what I heard. She walks up, and yes, I'm there. And, and the video, Dylan's like he thought, you know, I was actually looked a little white or whatever. And I said that's exactly sort of what I heard, like f- clearly footsteps right there. And then Holly hit a piece in the hallway. She walked out of that room, and there was a squeak because of the floor squeak. And I said, no, I didn't hear that. Like what I heard was so talking to your directional question. Yeah, yeah, I guess I can pinpoint the room at least. It was the one right there because that's what I heard. But as soon as she went out in the hallway, the floor squeaked there, and I went, "No, I didn't hear any squeaking or anything." It was that. Yeah, so it was just room. whatever it was, somebody yeah. or something or whatever. Just it wasn't a creaking wall. It was too big to be a mouse. Yeah, you know whatever. And I like whoa. And that is the room that we had earlier in the night had weird experiences in and feelings, but also had found a door that we had left open that had closed with a key in it. And um, we've had that happen in other locations, a jail in particular, where we've heard, the, and it's a very long story, and it's really cool. The, the Yarmouth Jail episode to me is, the, is even freakier than the ones I've been talking about mm. because I may have unleashed a demon. And, well, uh, good for you, Paul. Yeah, I, you know, it, seems, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Um, I thought it was actually a, the prisoner. I was trying to be a nice guy. I was trying to release the spirit of a prisoner who might have been tortured or beaten up, shall we say, in an interrogation room in the basement. And so as I'm doing it, uh, what I did was we had a temperature gauge there, and it started at about 12.8. And I was pretending I was the interrogator trying to sort of get information from him. I said, look, if you, and so the information I wanted to get was if you can just drop the uh, temperature down by another uh, 0.1 or 2 degrees, and it had been steady at 12.8, I think, for like a good 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, this, this is... This is indoors at night? Right, in the basement. Yeah. But the temperature had been steady. It hadn't been going up, hadn't been and going this down. Is, this is centigrade, folks, in the United centigrade. States. Centigrade, yeah. So as soon as... Yeah, not 12.8 Fahrenheit. I wouldn't have been down there. So as soon as I start doing that, it keeps going down, and as a, and then the rest of the crew just kind of comes down, and we're there fascinating like this. And so I go, okay, okay. And I was really playing it up like this detective sort of thing, Da 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 da, and I finally we got to ten, and I said, "All right, you sir are free to go, if you can just one more question. If you can just take it to nine point nine, nine point nine, you are free to go. You are free to leave this place that maybe you've been confined to for eighty years or ninety years. Mm-hmm. Boop down to nine point nine. I said, "Well, there you go, sir. You are free to go. Whatever is here is now." And I, I, you know what? no exorcism. Holly and I felt really good. Yeah. Like if you believe in any of this stuff, I spent a fair amount of my ghost hunting career taunting spirits and antagonizing them and pissing them off. I said, I might actually have done something useful for a change. Yeah. Play in the nice guy, let something out, some poor prisoner that had been falsely accused or whatever, off they go. Yeah. Right. So Dylan, when he logs all the footage for every single, like, every single show, multiple times, so you get like 80 clips of footage and all the audio stuff and everything. And he has to go through and log it and he names it all so that it's easy to use in the Yeah, yeah, so you can can refer to it quickly. Right. So he 
He goes, so you couldn't fake this if you tried. And he sent me the screen capture of what popped up on his, because when you, you look at it, the sort of manifest, if you will, of all the footage. Lance yeah, they Moody. Show you all, they show right. you all the little. There's the name. There's the runtime. Lance Moody, if he's out there, would know what this looks like. And there's the file size. Yeah. And so you go down, oh, that one's 28 megabytes. That one's 1.43 gigabytes. And these are 4K audio or video files. They're, many of them quite large. The one that he had labeled, and he was freaked out, he circled it. And he, he said, look at this. And he sent me a screen capture of it. And he said, I couldn't fake this if I wanted to. And I know he couldn't either. Is uh, It says, Paul unleashes spirit of prisoner in Yarmouth jail basement. Yeah. And he circled the size of the file. It's 6.66 gigabytes in size. <laughs> and Dylan ah. said, he when he saw that, when he, he reviewed the footage after he'd all logged in, he said, it felt a chill come over me. Because yes. maybe what you let out wasn't a benign spirit of a wrongfully accused rum runner right. in the 1920s. You might have... You know, my friend Reverend Kyle Wagner would tell, be telling me right now, maybe you said something else free, Paul. And uh, and so it's like, okay, cool. Thanks very much. Uh, John, again, I was thinking Paul was a secular atheist, surprised to hear the demon reference. Paul is not a secular atheist. I'm a hopeful agnostic. Always yeah. have been. Yes. So, um yeah, not a secular, not a secular atheist. Mm. Uh, to me, atheism is as bad as true belief. It's, yes, it's anti-belief or belief and non-belief. Here, I agree with Paul. Um, oh, I'll <laughs> see. This is a, a flattering question for me as the author of the co-creation hypothesis that gaining, gaining so much attention and study. I don't know about that. Uh, how much of this partly due to those involved? That that is a question I wanted to ask you. Uh, the it's almost a tree falls in the forest thing. But mm -hmm. people have had stuff happen and come back later and found stuff moved and changed, and they haven't been sitting there looking at it. Yeah. Um, but they did come back and look at it. It's like the but, Schrodinger's cat of ghost hunting. Or yeah, whatever. exactly. How much of this, after doing this for a few years, do you think the interaction is an important part of what's going on, or would the stuff happen just anyway? No, I think it's a critical part of the stuff going on. Okay. Um, and it is and kind if, of like and the, how the much of the interaction do you think is assignable to the witness or the person making the instigation or whatever? You know what I'm getting at? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I stole, uh, like, nobody read my book. The other side of truth. Everybody's going to read reframing the debate, but I actually I didn't steal. But it's part of well, this you have thing. to you just have to start pounding people with it over and over and over again, like Robbie does in that book, <laughs> which I wrote what five years ago now. I talked extensively and referenced extensively Greg and his idea of the co-creation hypothesis, which he's been talking about for years, which I tend to believe in, which Mac had also talked about. Nick it's has a, talked yes, about. It's a hypothesis. Right. It's not a rule. I'm not no. telling you that that this is. There's yeah. a reason why interesting we, talk. There's a reason why we all get along in our own doltish way. It's it's because we have interesting ideas, and I find them in you know. So that's yeah, why and we're, and we're not to these and, we're, and we don't we, we don't defend them emotionally. No, or we try not to. But in the book, I I really started to talk about this idea that we're interacting with this advanced non-human intelligence, and the key word in that sentence is interacting with, not having something do something to us. But interacting with and very much in a in a bit of a co-creation way. I think maybe Greg takes the co-creation element a bit more than I'd be willing to at the moment. But I certainly see an element of it in there. And I don't know, you know, like are well, you, are uh, you to me, the co-creation co yeah. Well, co-creation to me is you must be aware of what you contribute to the equation. Right. Not that you're interacting with something necessarily, but how much 
are you putting into this that you think is not you, probably, and it's just noise from your own, you know what I mean? Right. Well, there's definitely... noise from your own psychology, cueing, cultural background, all that stuff. Well, there's that old episode of Star Trek that I always liked because it had the really hot witch lady, space witch lady, because the Kirk and the guys go down to this planet that is like a, an old um, uh, wizard's castle or something, and it's the witch who, the space witch who eventually turns into a cat or whatever. Yeah. And what the, the I, what she's doing, though, is the, the crew of the Enterprise are like, where did all this come from? It's Macbeth's castle, and these people are dressed like wizards and warlocks and black cats, and they're pulling it out of their minds. And this is what the mythology. Kirk right. grew up in Iowa, and he grew up Halloween and stuff. And they're pulling these frightening things out of their minds without really understanding what they're pulling out. Yeah. And you know, I'm, it, there's probably a cut of that where Kirk's saying, "Hey, I was on Risa with the Orion slave girls. Why couldn't you pull that out of you know your your <laughs> my mind instead of black cats and wizards or whatever? Yeah. And dungeons. But yeah, because, I, be, yeah, because it's chaotic. That's right. I mean. And perhaps maybe we don't quite understand each other. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's probably part of it at least some of the time i think there might be other and there's no one defined answer i think other parts of the time maybe we really are you're visiting a place where maybe it does happen all the time if it is the spirit of the undead or the dead sorry uh, maybe they're there all the time and uh, maybe they're lonely i don't know uh, and it could be any one of these things so i could be in a house with a demon then i could be in a museum with the ghost of you know granddad or something and then i could be dealing with a space alien sending something from zeta reticuli 4 by way of thought processes i, I don't know mm -hmm. um i just call it an advanced non-human intelligence it's not us but it is us part of it's us and this this back you know our mind is is maybe part of that too so going back to let's pick one i don't know um well, the thing, well, Holly, here's the ah. Uh, mm -hmm. um, it's one of the things I need to sit down and talk to Holly about is to find out what was going on in her mind, which I haven't had a chance to do yet. It's been busy. I've been running for office, getting married, and also shooting new episodes of The Ghost Show while editing all Maybe you should have notes. It's like, so as soon as something happens like that, sequester and ask a certain series of questions. We sort of did with that one, in the, but there's, it's just because you only have one night to shoot. The film producer and me has to take. Like, over. Oh, we got to get some more material here. Well, you take, you catalog it, you calm down, and you say, you know what, camera guys, I need you to don't follow me or Kim or somebody else. Now we got to keep pushing. Yeah. I have a job to do too. So yeah. for me, now if I was there just as random Paul and Holly showing up and we're just doing it for fun, yeah, absolutely. But the the breakdown kind of usually comes later, and and sometimes you miss the immediacy of of the questions that maybe you should ask. So now I have to go back. We start shooting again on Tuesday after I drop you off to the airport. So Holly and I have a very long drive together, uh, three hours, just her and I in the car down to Barrington on the South Shore. And I think in those three hours, we'll be spending a lot of the time talking about things like this. Yeah. Hey, Holly, let's talk a bit more about what we've experienced so far. Um, but sometimes language or just unwillingness to talk about it can get in the way too. I mean, I, the shadow experience I had in Chesky Krimlov when Holly and I were traveling there years ago, she didn't hear about it until I'd written about it in the book. I didn't even tell her that night. I got back to the Wizard's Castle Hotel we were staying in, and she was. we were in the same room, and don't take that the wrong way, folks. I was sleeping on the floor. Um, you know, I didn't wake her up, I, and the next day I just went about business as usual because I was still trying to process what had happened to me myself. And I didn't want to bring her into it, and part of it is I didn't want to look stupid or seem weird, and which is weird because we just finished 13 episodes of a ghost hunting series. Yeah. <laughs> so, But I still felt like being stalked, as I put it, by a shadow person on the empty streets of Chesky Krumlov at one in the morning while I was out taking a walk yeah. was not something I wanted to talk to Holly about. 
um, even though we had been no, through no, all no. this other stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I wasn't ready for that. But then I put it in a book five years later, and, and she eventually read about it and said, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. I went, well, you know, that would have been weird. So, and she went weirder then, and then listed about eight other things <laughs> yeah. that happened to us. And yeah. I went, yeah, you had to be there. It would have been weirder than all of those things. So, um, so yeah, we'll have that conversation on the car ride down to Barrington. So what's, um, you've got, what, how many more of the, how many more locations before you're done? Seven. You always shoot more than you need. Right. Because some just, truth yeah, is, you go to places. Things don't work out. There's nothing happens, yeah. in which case cool check that off but that's bad television yeah so you boring. know it is a job and it's the places where things do happen that wind up on television yeah and there's always places where things don't happen well yeah. they wind up in the cutting room floor but i'm happy to talk about them yeah did one seminary house which is a residence at acadia where holly and i both went to school university here in nova scotia we went to the legendary story that we both heard as students of a girl who had hung herself or hanged herself and her ghost was seen throughout Seminary House, a woman's residence. Went there, investigated it, pulled out a Ouija board. That's how desperate we were because nothing was happening. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Zippo. Not even a beep on the EMF meter. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't mean there's not a ghost there. Just means, means nothing, happened, up. nothing happened to us. So if there's any co-creation going on, it wasn't happening that night. Yeah. Uh, fine. Great. Not making television with that. But I'm yeah. happy to say, as far as I'm concerned, I have no proof at all that anything's ever happened in Seminary House. Or nothing to me, yeah. at least. Are you going to Lunenburg to that wonderful, big military, whatever building, military school Oh, you mean the um, Liverpool Academy? The big one on the hill that we went... Lunenburg. Or Lunenburg. Sorry. You, me, and Aaron stopped yes. by. Uh, no, they, uh, we they thought about let it. you. Because it's a beautiful building. And it's haunted or allegedly haunted. It's it right looks next, like a haunted building. It's right next to a really big graveyard and, yeah. and it's on the top of a hill and it looks like something out of a Stephen King novel. And, yeah. And no, it's, it's not really open for ghost investigation anymore. So. Damn it. Yeah. Oh, somebody asking a question? Is that what we're seeing? Yeah, no, no. Carlos is saying, my theory is spiritual cow tipping by bored teenage ghosts. This is the same as the... the uh, That's as good as the my al- The alien cow tipping, too. <laughs> That's as good as any theory that I can come up with. Uh, we have ten minutes or so. I mean, because I don't want to keep you up. Or we'll stay up and drink beers or something. Oh, no, there's no beers in the house. You didn't go to sleep? No. Okay. I have whiskey. Oh, um, <laughs> the show's over. You, yeah, exactly. Forget it. Screw everybody. The it's show's not, over. It's not good whiskey. That's okay. All right, we can go for another ten minutes. Then. You can go have yeah. some shit whiskey. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of the show, we mentioned, and guess what's going to happen tomorrow before I go home? Mm-hmm. What's happening in Los Angeles tomorrow in a courthouse? Oh, right. Um, tomorrow afternoon, I believe in the at, at twelve thirty or something like that. Sean David Morton is going to be sentenced. Yay! He's going to be sentenced to up to something like 60, 80-something months, not years. I thought it was years, but months, you say, so probably Around five years Hmm. or so, five to eight years, of jail time. And probably his wife, too, because she was indicted on the exact same counts. Or convicted, I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I went to the, and I think I mentioned this before, I went to the trial for three hours, did you read my write-up of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I walk in there and I realize, you know, one, you can't bring a recorder in. It's just illegal. Um, it just is. I mean, it, it, the court has the record of it, the, the court reporter. Um, but uh, I realized that I had uh, I had brought, s- smartly, as it turned out, a one piece of blank 8.5 by 11 inch paper and a pen with a very small ballpoint on it. Hmm. 
So I folded the paper in half, and I proceeded to cover the four sides of the paper with the smallest writing possible for those three hours to write down every... You playing footsies with me? Sorry. Write down every single thing that I heard and everything that I saw and every... And as it turns out, some people were interested in this. Um, Royce Myers was read it and was interested. Um, the the uh, founder and uh, chronicler of uh, UFO Watchdog. Um, yes, he has that back after Gene Steinberg had it for a while, I think. That's right. Yeah. He, was, he was hosting it. I guess, I guess he took it back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so I, I've been in touch with Royce Myers a little bit. And <laughs> Canadian mist. Um, <laughs> whiskey. Oh, yeah. We make good whiskey up here. Yes, they do. Yeah. They do. Just not Canadian Mist. No. Um, <laughs> That's a television show airing on Spike soon. Is it? The Mist. It was shot... Stephen King's The Mist. The TV oh. series was shot here in Halifax. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's Canadian Mist. Yes. Um, if people don't know, Sean Morton is a uh, is a uh, basically a confidence trickster guy that's been running around the UFO and New Age communities for 20-something years. Something like that. I normally do not care about wackos like Morton. I've just had, and I've said this before, I've had personal interaction with him, which um, which irritated and disgusted me. Uh, and so that's why I have sort of a hard on for Morton because he's pissed me off personally. Um, you know, rude, um, uh, pushy, everything, all these things. Anyway. Uh, he was in, he was convicted of, I think, 60 something counts of, uh, varying things. And it had nothing to do with the securities, uh, fraud where he said he would get people, he could, uh, get people to hits on the stock market because he was a psychic, which of course didn't work. He just took all their money. Um, <laughs> here's, I talking gleefully about incarceration. I'm not gleeful about Morton's incarceration. I'm just kind of like, well, you know what? He deserves it because he screwed some people over. And then on top of that, and they're not even... He screwed over taxpayers. Mm-hmm. Because what what he was on trial for in, in L.A. Uh, Superior Court was, um, one, um, filing false tax returns. Two, filing false tax returns for other people charging them to, to uh, file them their returns as sovereign citizens, you know that thing. Right, yes. Um, which is, is not accepted by any government authority at all, and so basically they just tell you, no. Um, but he was charging people hundreds of dollars to file that for them, saying that they wouldn't have to ever pay taxes again. Um, so that was brought up. You know what's funny? They brought up Daniel Brinkley somewhere in there. He had had some interaction with Daniel Brinkley, and he had ripped off Brinkley for some money, it sounded like. Yeah. Anyway, because they were trying to re- introduce Daniel Brinkley, the uh, um, uh, near-death experience guy's um, financial history somehow, because it, his records had turned up when they had raided Morton and his wife's apartment. Uh, IRS raided his apartment, took all of his computers, took all of his records, and checked through them all because they, they suspected that he was involved in some kind of fraud with the government. Um, uh, long story short, they found out that he had filed fictitious tax returns on the one hand, trying to get uh, returns, um, uh, refunds for money he'd never earned. And he was also um, basically passing bad checks. He was, he was forging checks on government accounts 
and trying to get money off them for for lots of money, hundreds of thousands and in, in a, case, a couple cases, a couple million dollars. I saw part of that testimony and then I had to leave. Anyway, um, at at some point in, tomorrow, and he, he, actually in between when he was uh, found guilty and now, he's actually been appealing to people for money. Um, he was on a show yesterday talking about it. No. Uh, yeah. Really? Like a TV uh, show and, or radio well, no, show? A radio show in the last maybe few days. He was talking about one, I think he was trying to get money out of people to help him with something. I don't know what it is. He's just trying to get money out of people. And two, he was talking about, I guess, some revelations about Antarctica and, you know, possible pyramids. They found. It's a craze right now. He jumps on the latest craze and then pre presents himself as an expert on it. Well, as a psychic, you would think he could see the latest craze coming before it was coming. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, and then he says, I've been into this for years, and suddenly he's only talking about it when everybody else is. Anyway, so he... Uh, I wanted to go to that uh, the sentencing just to sort of watch and see how he reacted. Um, but uh, it's it's just it's just a... And there's still people can... Uh, there's still people defending him and saying, "Oh, poor Sean Morton, and how could they do this to him?" And it's, and it, I, I, I just, I don't have any sympathy. And I hear also his relatives and people like that are, they're thinking maybe this will turn him around and he can, you know, he can be part of the family again. I don't know. My, my idea is he's going to go into prison. He's going to start a cult, <laughs> probably. <laughs> and it's probably going to be some minimum security pr prison. I'm sure it's not going to be, some, you know, hard time in some big. Lockdown. It's not going to be anywhere he can get out of, but it's not going it, to. It's he's a he's a tax evader. He's not a violent criminal. Yeah, I, I mean, I I watch enough Lockup on on MSNBC. Oh yes, yeah, so we talked about we're we're going to get the, the even though it's Canadian, get the legal. That's opinion. right. I'm the Radio Mysterioso legal legal. I'm the Jeff Tubin of Radio Mysterioso now. I I don't know enough about the case or American law to comment other than I you know he'll get what he deserves and I I do think sure he might. I can't imagine he'd wind up in a club fed because uh, this kind of tax fraud, for lack of a better term, is something I think they take seriously, especially when it's involved with just genuinely defrauding people. So it's not like he's, and it's over a very long period of time. So uh, and the you know the pr the government will have some discretion as to where which prison he goes to. So I'm sure they're not going to send him to you know like Supermax, lock yeah, or San Quentin or. Even Chino or something like that. Yeah, but but I'm also I would like to think, and I I think I'm reasonably sure that he's not going to wind up at a club fed either, you know, like with the you know white collar criminals from mm -hmm. the business world. Because while he is technically a white collar criminal, and he, let's call him what he is now, a criminal, convicted criminal, he's a white collar criminal from a fringe subject that, um, in the way he was doing it most people will think was praying or, <clears throat> or was with no socially redeeming value was preying on really weak-minded gullible people and was also trying to defraud the government at the same time yeah i'm not i'm not sure anyone's going to have a whole lot of sympathy within the prison system or the judiciary for him so when he gets sentenced you know he might find that he's doing a little bit of harder time than he thought and even if he's not doing hard hard time um He's going to lose some weight, first of all, because, uh, you know, he's not going to have the access I, I to the lifestyle. I think he might be, he looked to be somewhere near 300 pounds. So, yeah, so. so this might help him. Who knows? Yeah. But he's, it's going to be a tough go for him. He's going to have to do time uh, in prison and, uh, well, deserve time. But 
who knows if that'll change him. Maybe he will start a cult like you will. Some people, like, we'll see how. I'm not going to start a cult. No, he will. Like you said he will, sorry. We'll see, in a sense. We'll Already see. have. You just don't know it. We'll see what Sean David Morton's made of. Most people like this crumble when you send him to jail. If you read accounts of people mm-hmm, who wind mm-hmm. up in jail, I suspect he will too. You know, we might see a very bad ending to Sean David Morton, and it would never surprise me. Aaron Hernandez, the former New England Patriots tight end who was convicted of murder, mm-hmm. you know, big tough guy and everything, killed himself. Uh, I think l- largely because he might not have been able to face what was going to happen, the lifetime in prison. Um, and he was a bit of a tough guy. Sean David Morton's nobody's definition of a tough guy. So He's not a tough guy, but I think his ego is a lot bigger than the, than the football it player. It is, but prison will knock your ego out of you the minute they say, take all your clothes off because we have to strip search you. And that, that would happen even in club fed. You know, We have to make sure that you're not bringing contraband in or whatever. I think Sean David Morton, guys like that with big egos are the guys that prisons chew, eat up chew up and spit out faster than anybody else. Mm. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I don't think anybody in prison is going to have a whole lot of time for Sean David Morton um, if he runs acro- into anybody who's even remotely a real tough guy. So he could be headed uh, for some for a really, like, bad place. And I, I don't have any sympathy for him because it's just not worth my time to feel any sympathy for a guy who's this much of a criminal and a con man and a, a fraud. So root him out, get rid of him, you know, like Ventre in a different category, cast them aside and think no more of them other than he got his just desserts. And kudos to Royce Myers III, who was often a lonely voice for years, continuing to pound on the yeah, Sean pe- David Morton. Yeah, and people don't know Morton actually sued him for um, defamation or mm-hmm. uh, not def- or, and um, what's the other word? Slander. Yeah, slander, Slandle. and he lost. He yes. said every single thing that he brought up saying that, you know, this is slander against me, every count was dismissed yep. because they turned out to be true. Yeah, so, you know, kudos to the UFO watchdog, Royce Myers III, mm-hmm. uh, who sort of made uh, Sean David Morton a bit of a crusade. And, uh, you know, whether he was responsible for getting him arrested and thrown in jail and everything, I don't know. But uh, he was certainly responsible for letting people know, even within ufology, that this guy was a fraud. Mm-hmm. And um, it's the same thing as the Roswell Slides group. Kudos to those guys for outing the slides and explaining how it was done and all that. When you find people who do that kind of debunking, um, it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, debunking is good if it's bunk. Yeah, and exactly. Morton was bunk. Uh, Ventre is bunk of a different kind, and the yeah. Roswell slides were bunk. So these yeah. are things that we should remove from the yeah. conversation. So we, can however, talk about... you should not explain bunk with more bunk. No, like the uh, like the and I I've apologized to a friend online. I just said you know that uh, Nickel said it was owls in the Kelly Hopkinsville. It's oh. owls, and he said no. He said did not say that. So I looked it up, and he said the most likely explanation is that they were mistaken for great horned owls or something like that. It's like, I don't care. It's still a stupid explanation. What do you think people are going to think when he says that? Oh, it's explained. Right. And it's a dumb explanation. But then on the other hand, he'll do, this is Nickel. On the other hand, he'll go out into a field with some pieces of str- some rope and string and some posts and reproduce exactly the hummingbird glyph from uh, Nazca. Right. And show... <laughs> You don't need gods to do this. You put posts on the ground, and, and he made it made total sense. And he proved that it could have been done by anybody with you know just scaling it up. Let's take this piece of string and make it a hundred times longer, and put these posts in the ground. And there are po- wooden posts in the ground out in Nazca. People huh. have, uh, people have seen them. And they're still there uh, in in the in the in the um, uh, in the designs. But 
the the point is that um, you know that if somebody is is you know peddling bunk, it's nice to debunk it. Um, right. However, if there is something that is inconclusive, it is it is a lot more respectable to me to say this has not been proven. Right. Not it has been proven false. It has just not been proven. Don't replace a, or don't take a bad story and answer it with a bad answer. Yeah. Like you know, if you can't find a way to disprove it or to explain it. Um, do one of two things, except that it's genuinely weird and anomalous, and I don't mean space aliens when I say anomalous. Right, exactly. It's just outside our normal experience. Yeah. Or, if that's not good with you, then just set it aside and say, all right, I'll go deal with the things I can explain, yeah. and I'll just leave this aside. I don't want to talk about it. Yes. That's intellectually, to me, more honest yeah, than it, saying, I'm going to explain it the way you know Phil Class explained the RB-47 case yeah. or whatever, with an airliner flying over Texas. Don't cook up a crazy explanation. Just let it go and say, you know what? Yeah. I'm going to go talk about other things that yeah, I can't explain. You, you don't have to. You don't have to win. No, and you don't have to. It doesn't have to be a zero sum game. You can do a lot of real good, even Phil Class or Donald Menzel, if you go and debunk a bunch of bunk. Yes, hey, go for it. Yeah. and leave the rest of it to us. Yeah, or to not. I or say, or to yeah, whoever. like I said, you know, you'd have a lot more. It, of course, when you say this has not been explained or is inconclusive, or, you know, it's still you say, "Oh, well, it's aliens." Like I did not say that. I said right. it has not been proven yet. Yes, and not been explained yet. And that's all yeah, you can say. The really good skeptics will often th- do that and say that, and um, and even as they're debunking other things. So you know what? That's I'm cool with that. And I know yeah. I know really good skeptics, or even people that most ufologists would call debunkers. Yeah. And I find them usually open-minded, and often they will say, "Look, that one thing over there. I don't know. You say you experienced something. Take your word for it. Mm-hmm. Can't explain it. Mm-hmm. I'm good that you did. I just I don't believe it's a ghost, but I'll take your word for it that it is a that something happened to you that I can't maybe explain. Yeah. Let's leave it at that. If I was no there problem. with you, I might have had some way to explain it, but right. I wasn't. Yeah. So not in, not proven or inconclusive sure. right, at this point. And to me, uh, at the end of the day, you mentioned this early in the broadcast, um, the one thing that I do have is, you're right, I wouldn't fake it. Now, it turns out I don't have to. But I just wouldn't. I spent an entire career in the film industry doing these kinds of docs when I do do them. Yeah. With building up a reputation of treating everyone fairly, not misquoting people, and not faking stuff. Yeah. I'm not going to ruin that now by faking things. So if you see it, the one thing you can believe is whether or not it actually happened with an explanation that I might think is true. Forget my explanation. What you see happening actually happened. Uh, and in the case of Holly, the thing we played for you, I couldn't fake it if I wanted to. I wasn't yeah. there, and it really did happen. Yeah. Here it is on video with the sound. But I'm not going to you know, go in and gussy that up in post or anything. Right. I don't have to. Now, I will recreate stuff if, uh, for instance, the uh, the audio, we were there, we can hear it, but we, for whatever reason, say you couldn't bring the audio, even with a ton of post, you just couldn't make it audible, yeah. then I would recreate it, but then underneath I would say recreating what we all heard or something like yeah. that. So you would know this is what we're doing. And if you really wanted to, you can call me up and I'll send you the evidence, uh, crappy as it is, and you can listen for yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Because it's television, you have to make it broadcastable as well. So yeah. it's entertaining too. Um, but I won't fake it, and I won't change it, and what happens on our show actually really happened, for good or ill. Demons. Yeah, the one <laughs> demons. We have a we have a motto. I actually came up with a, up with a motto in the first episode, which we quite like. We're going to put not it on, saying it's demons, but it's demons. No, no, we're going to put it on a, <laughs> on t shirts. Ghost bad, demon, or sorry, ghost good, D 
demons bad. <laughs> That's going to be the show's <laughs> motto. And the, ca- the cast and crew all agree with that. So, And it's called Hauntings? Haunted. Haunted. And the idea actually is... Um, Unlike, say, ghost cases or ghost hunters or or even hauntings. Yeah. Haunted Scooby-Doo. Haunted refers to the people as much as the places. Yeah. And the idea that maybe Holly and I are haunted by our previous experiences, our inability to fully explain them. Yeah. Um, and after nine years, we're sort of reconvening. And nobody thought we ever would. And we're going to go... It's like with the X-Files reuniting. We're still haunted by what happened to us all those years ago. And we actually reference these those old experiences sometimes in the new show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think both Holly and I are kind of still haunted by that because we have not been able to explain it. The difference is we're now bringing Dylan and Chelsea and my brother Jim into that experience. And they're having their own experiences too. Yeah. One episode... And Jim is like way further up the skeptical told, ladder than you are. He plays still. the skeptic on the show. Yeah. Because yeah. I've moved more into... To the not believer, almost believer, open-minded, agnostic, yeah, whatever. It, it, uh, op- yeah, exactly. But I've been out there. But there's one episode that turned out to be pretty much all about Dylan and his hmm. a story that resonated with him. And oh, that's right, you mentioned totally this. unexpected. And you know, at the end of it, it doesn't end like a lot of ghost shows end. It'll end with just me and Dylan, sort of Obi Wan and Luke or whatever mentor and protege, sitting down in a room alone and just talking about his new experience and my old experience and you know how those traveling through time the nine different years and him saying you know i like what's happening to us and me trying to explain it to him and say look it's nothing to be afraid of let's continue to follow the journey and see where it goes and this might even be a good thing for you yeah and so it is totally not a ghost show experience where you know you would expect to see a show end like that. Usually it's like, oh, we don't... Like Zach Baggins on Ghost Adventures. We don't know what the name of the demon was that assaulted eight crew members in the house, but I'm sure it was Satan. Or, you know, something like that. Yeah. And uh, as we left, we realized that we would never be the same. I don't know. It's just more me and Dylan going, so, you know, let's talk about this as rational adults. Yeah. Who are a little freaked out right now. Right. So it's a very Canadian ghost show, if you will. I was about to say that. So yeah. it's very Canadian, isn't it? Is it um, yeah. It'll probably won't sell very well in the U.S. Yeah. But, it, you know, to the, to well, the where, enlightened where, and educated viewers in the United States, it will do fine. Where is it going to be shown in... in can people in the United States ever see it, or will they be able to? Hope so. In Canada, it'll be shown on Eastlink. Uh, they have an exclusive run for six years. It's uh, a regional network, but they have reach across the country. But outside of Canada, we can sell it wherever we want. Mm. So, um, you know, we will try and get it in the United States. The last time we did Ghost Cases, it sold into, uh, for instance, Iran, Albania, Thailand, <laughs> and a couple of other countries, I think. Um, so yeah, you know, and it, and copies it, of it dubbed. No, no. <laughs> I don't even know what Albanian sounds like, but <laughs> something, I don't know. Uh, like Admiral Akbar or something. It's a trap. It's a Yugoslavian trap. Um, so, uh, boy, that's a deep 1980s reference yeah. before the, Oh, it's film. a big meme now. Yeah. Looks no, like I meant the Yugoslavian thing, because oh, Yugoslavia yes. doesn't exist anymore. Yes. Albania okay. and Yugoslavia had a very tendentious relationship, because the Yugoslavs were always worried about a greater Albania, which I always find ironic, because Albania is one of the smallest countries on the planet. So, like, what is a greater Albania? You add three city blocks 
or something like yes you add kosovo do you know how big kosovo is that makes it greater albania wow you guys really need to aim you know bigger a little higher yeah so uh you know like ghost cases is available online now i think for free actually no it's on amazon.com you can and the reviews of either people either really like it or they really hate it usually because they wanted ghost adventures and uh to me i'd say look ghost adventures is already on television i kind of watch it yeah and I find it entertaining. It's just yes. not how I. It's would. not your thing. Yeah, it's it's totally not what I would do. But uh, if you want to be entertained, go watch Ghost Adventures. And if you want to be hopefully entertained, but also informed, come watch our show. It's all out there. Pick yeah. and choose. All right, we'll have a whiskey. Uh, what do you want to hear? Oh wait, I don't know. It's been so long since I've. Re- ah, I always ah, you know what I haven't heard in ages. Hmm. Um, uh, the Langley Schools project calling interplanetary occupants calling occupants of interplanetary space. It's late at night. All right, I love that song. Yeah, I love that version. I was going to yeah, go with the melatonin. Mine too. I was going to go with the melatonin's flying saucers, but this one's longer and, and moodier. So, so yeah, hopefully. So you thought I was going to say the Smiths, didn't you? I don't know. I didn't think you were going to. I thought no. you might say Joy Division or something Ooh, like that. Joy Division? No. I just got married. I think Love Will Tear Us Apart is probably the wrong <laughs> thing to play. So, Our guest this evening has been Paul Kimball, filmmaker. Former politician. Former politician and maybe coming politician and newlywed. Public servant. Yes. There we go. And newlywed, yeah. All right. And so. legal expert for Radio Mysterioso. <laughs> <Nats. laughs> there you go. I'm going to make cards. Legal analyst for Radio Mysterioso. I think you should. Yeah. I'll make them for you. I got to go make some more cards for my drone thing, so I'll just make up some for you. Thanks. Send me a graphic that you want on there. A smiling face or uh, Zorgrod will be on it. Actually. No, I, I put Admiral Akbar saying Akbar saying the ETH is a trap. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrestrial hypothesis. It's a trap. You, know, you know how that great. came about? Jeff Ritzman's birthday. I said, "What well, would I could put on there?" And I just for some reason just flashed at Admiral Akbar because he's a huge Star Wars fan. Yeah, so am I. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> Although it's not like, as much as Jeff Ritzman is. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's a trap. It's like, yeah, he hates the ETH. ETH is a trap. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's like having a giant piece of calamari, you know, <laughs> telling you it's a trap. Um, you were so tasty, Admiral Akbar. <laughs> it's a shame I had to eat you. You would have won the rebellion. Yeah. Breaded with uh, cocktail sauce. Exactly. With a nice Chianti. He's, very, he's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Akbar appetizer. Mm, Akbar mm. appetizers.
We 